This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, gang. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here with Terry and Jeff. I'm back. Feels good to be back and see my, my good brethren. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that tepid response. A warm response from the crowd. That was uh, like, not oh, very warm. Huh. He's, but he's back. <laughs> so good to be back. And uh, happy Wednesday to you. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. I never thought I'd say this. But we maybe need to learn some lessons from the media. What? They have one, two, what do they have now? Three, four uh, stars. Mm-hmm. Alleged to have committed uh, sexual harassment or other so things, and they're immediately terminated. Who do you have? Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. Uh, Roger Ailes. Uh, Charlie Rose. Oh, that's right. Matt Lauer. Charlie Rose. That uh, happened over Thanksgiving ABC break. guy Halperin. Has that uh, Mark Halperin. His... He was fired. But the funny thing is, when the media has a person that gets in trouble, they immediately, it seems like, well, immediately now, now they're doing it. Yeah. They didn't do it for years. Now they just fire him. And now Matt Lauer, fired, terminated, done. Congress, on the other hand, we got to talk about it. Think about it. Talk about their great history, their great contributions to the world. That is interesting. And I, everybody always thought that the media had no morals or no scruples or the Hollywood, by the way, did the same thing, right? Hollywood, when they hear about it, they're now finally doing something about it. Yeah. But our Republic, I mean, our Congress isn't. They just, they don't want to move on it yet. Can you imagine somebody that you've well, worked with for decades, you come in the next day to work and oh. they're no longer there? Yeah. Because and, of all this baggage. Well, and then you wonder, has, does everybody know? Is everybody talking about this? Did, did everybody know and nobody – they just smiled and looked the other way as people were being harassed and his, abused? His co-hosts certainly seemed to be thrown for a loop. Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's just – it's it's a crazy world. And what a – wow, what a way to come back. Meanwhile, you've got the whole thing still going on with Alabama – they haven't voted yet. The 12th. <laughs> is it the 12th? Man, that thing, yeah, so it was like one month away, and it seems that, like it's been three months. That week's going to be interesting. The 12th of December is that vote. Yeah. The 14th is the net neutrality vote. Oh, wow. And the 15th is Star Wars. So there you go. Oh, Way to put heavens. things in perspective. There, right there. <laughs> you see how his brain works? That is such a strange brain. It's What a weird calendar your brain carries. Christmas, Christmas starts after Star Wars. Yeah. Oh, is that how that's Notice okay. Christmas yeah, yeah. was yeah. not a part of that list. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's later. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I'll start shopping at that point. Boy, I did I did some shopping. I actually was a part of Cyber Monday. Yeah, I cybered up. I bought some. I'm not going to tell you because my wife will hear. We're done, so we can just sit back and enjoy. You're done December. shopping. We're done. We're done wrapping. What? Yeah. Drop okay. a, drop a beat. What are you talking what about? Do you, what do you? We don't we don't have anything left to do. We can just enjoy well, the Christmas season. Scratching records in the back of the room. What are you doing? Yeah, they dropped a beat. <laughs> <laughs> um that's you're done. Yeah. Well, okay, except for what Santa brings. Oh right. But you know, we have no control over that. Don't you? You can't mail him something. You can't we, we've call already, something in. We've already mailed the letters to Santa. 
It's all done. You've done everything. Yeah. Why are you in such a hurry? I don't know. We just couldn't wait this year, and we had an itch. We scratched it, yeah. and now we can just sit back and enjoy it. Well, I, I noticed. Well, you know, did you notice he had all that those scratch marks? Yeah. The flakiness. And the flakiness. That, I mean, and the red. The redness and the flakiness together, you know, said something was happening. I've actually had some itches that I've never had before. On my eyelids. Have you ever had that? First I, time in my life. Eyelid itch? Hmm. Yeah. Mm-mm. Never had that. That's a symptom of other problems. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> really? Itchy you want me to eyelids. diagnose it? I could diagnose wow. it. You yeah. could? Yeah, let's look Is it. that like tasting colors, itchy eyelids? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm going to get you a gown to put on, and then we'll take a break. Then don't we'll get, you have don't you have some more of that uh, that honey salve that you put on yeah, eyelids? Uh-huh. Oh yeah, I got a ton of it. Honey salve. Uh, Is it salve or salve? I think it's salve. For it both ways. It's more of a regional. Uh, everyone loves. Salve. I think you're right though. I think salve. I think salve is right. Salve sounds better. Hmm. I mean, if you're going to rub something on your body, I'd rather put a salve than a salve. If you're keeping score. Hey, uh, also today we're going to be talking about the future of online dating. Uh, None of us need that. No. But uh, apparently, you know, there's a future to it. Well, it's becoming, what, automated? Yeah. So less personal? Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't everything. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Man. I mean, there's places now where they're doing everything in their power so you can order food and just not have to talk to a human, which... Okay. Oh, I like that. But, you know. No need to talk. There's that human touch that you're going to miss. We used to have a restaurant in Utah where you would sit at a booth and then phone it in. Oh, yeah. Oh, the training table? Yeah, those were great. I never went there. That's how we helped our children get over their social anxiety. I went there so I could actually use the phone. And you could, you know. To order my food as a kid. I could never get a call out. Well, I, I, I pick up the phone and like. They say hello, and you look up at the counter, and they're standing there talking to you from the counter. Yeah. I just handed the phone to my mom. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to talk to that person. You had a little anxiety. Yeah. That's why I like my kids to, no, make the call. I just wanted to prize. I think the takeaway now is if you go to an establishment that still has those phones, your kids, the only other place they're going to be able to use a phone like that is in prison. That's a great point. Across the glass, you can speak to them over the phone. Yeah. And they'll just automate that at some point, too. Yeah. Sometime, yeah, someday you won't ever have to talk to your family when they come visit you in prison. <laughs> There's a thought. There's a thought for you. Well, let's get to the rest of the headlines. Uh, find out what Kim Jong-un is up to, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, with Terry South. What's up, So Terry? as we talked about Matt Lauer out at NBC, apparently a letter received from a, uh, an employee from NBC last night led to this firing. The New York Times apparently was working on a story about this, and they kind of got ahead of the story. Wow. So they could... Uh, be doing the right thing, I guess. Yeah, so pretty fast on that to get him fired that way. That's a big deal. After 20 years, they said no complaints against him. Well, I guess, too, the minute the Times is putting together a story, yeah, you got to move on that. After North Korea tested an intercontinental ballistic missile Tuesday, President Trump responded with a volley of attacks on Democrats, flanked at the White House press conference by two empty seats with name tags for Senator Chuck Schumer and Representative Nancy Pelosi, Trump first cryptically said he would take care of the test, then blasted Democratic leaders for not coming to a White House meeting on the government shutdown in light of the launch. They should be calling immediately and saying, we want you to want to see you, but probably they won't because 
Nothing to them is more important than raising taxes, Trump said. Schumer oh and Pelosi had canceled plans to attend the meeting after the president attacked them in a tweet earlier Tuesday morning saying Chuck and Nancy want illegal immigrants flooding into our country unchecked, are weak on crime, and want to substantially raise taxes. I don't see a deal. The state-run Korean Central News Agency said Kim Jong-un gave the order to test the new missile Tuesday. They described the new missile as significantly more powerful than previous long-range missiles used and said that all of the U.S. mainland would now be within range of a nuclear strike, which some researchers from the U.S. have confirmed that if they fired it on a different trajectory, it could have hit Washington, D.C. Wow. But you know what? It wouldn't matter. Well, Chuck and Nancy weren't even there. (laughs) Well, they weren't in the White House. By the way, doesn't that sound like a couple from, like, the 50s? Chuck and Nancy. Well, Chuck the, and Nancy got married yesterday. There's the film Sid and Nancy. That's different. Okay. The Senate Budget Committee voted on Tuesday along party lines to approve the GOP's tax overhaul bill, a move to, uh, that sets up a vote on the Senate floor later this week. Key Republican holdouts, including Senator Rob Johnson and Bob Corker, said their concerns about certain provisions of the legislation were resolved after... President Trump met with the full Senate Republican caucus earlier Tuesday. If the Senate approves the legislation, it will be reconciled with the House passed version, which contains different provisions. So, you know, more meetings. Oh, good. Uh, President Trump, according to reports, still questioned the authenticity of former President Barack Obama's birth certificate behind Uh. closed doors. Uh, said of the New York Times. In addition to throwing doubt on the legitimacy of the infamous Access Hollywood tape, Trump also has said in recent months he reportedly revived the birther conspiracy theory that aided his rise to political prominence. The story cites an unnamed U.S. senator who listened as the president revived his doubts about Obama's birth certificate. He says he has a hard time letting go of this claim that Mr. Obama was not born in the United States. In September of last year, then-candidate Trump held a press conference to declare that President Barack Obama was born in the United States, period, before inventing a new story of Hillary Clinton had started the birther controversy during her 2008 primary run. See, what would happen if they found out that indeed he was not born in the United States? Oh, boy. Ah, that would be so bad. That president that served for eight years, what would you do? He also is still talking about how he actually won the popular vote. Yeah. Because of fake votes. He's got that one going, too. So those three million fake votes. No. He's just he just won't let things go. No. Somebody but by the way, when Kim Jong un fired that missile, yes. he didn't tweet much. He kinda went real quiet. Yeah. Shh. Be very, very quiet. He might have been in meetings. <laughs> Maybe that was it. Yeah, yeah. There's a new there may be a new cell phone policy at the White House. They don't let people use cell phones in there anymore. Except for him. Well, he's got his phone. Okay. U.S. District Court judge in D.C. sided with the Trump administration, ruling that the White House Budget Director Mick Mulvaney will remain acting director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Outgoing CFPB uh, Chief Richard Corderay picked Leandra English to be the acting director, but Trump countered by nominating Mulvaney. English had signed a temporary restraining order to block Mulvaney from taking the post. The judge in the case was a recent Trump appointee. Wow. That, that was a big deal. People were... It was interesting to watch how two people showed up on Monday and sent out memos saying, don't listen to the other person except Mulvaney brought donuts. Oh, you got got to listen to the guy with the donuts. Always bring donuts. And the biggest story of the day. Bigger than NBC Fire's Matt Lauer? I think so. Okay. Avengers. Oh, boy. Infinity War. The trailer is out this morning. I've watched it three times. Really? It's amazing. Is that why you get up so early? (laughs) I I had to prepare. I had to clear my deck so uh, I could watch. Just so you know, I watched Thor. And? 
It was incredibly good. It was fun, huh? It was really fun. Jeff Goldblum? When we watched it late, Jeff Goldblum was great. It was, uh, we watched it and I stayed awake. Over the weekend, Vanity Fair did a whole article about the current status of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay, how'd that turn out? They have 22 movies they've made. Yeah? 22 of these movies. Yeah. I mean, how many were good? 20 of them. Really? So two of the Thor movies, or are those the the ones that... No, one Thor movie and the first Hulk movie, which they've included in all this, those are bad. The rest... Really good. I like them. The guy in charge of it all, Kevin Feige? Feige? Do you know the name? Feige. It's it's Feige. He says there are 20 more movies already planned. Wow. They're ready to go. Look at you salivating. push forward of 20 more. Beyond... Now, now, this this is the part that I found interesting. Right now, they have... They're in phase three. There's phase one, two. This is phase three. How many phases total are there? I thought they only did phases when they were building retirement they homes. Might. Yeah, and phase then. four is coming up. They don't. They're not going to tell you how many they're going forward with. Okay. But phase three currently, we've already had Doctor Strange, Guardians two, Spider Man Homecoming, and Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Upcoming mm-hmm. Black Panther. Ooh. Avengers, oh, I saw that. Avengers: Infinity War, Ant Man and Wasp, Captain Marvel. And the fourth Avengers movie. All those are still to come. After those movies, there's 20 more. Oh, wow. Yeah, By the way, great? I think Phase 6 does take place in a retirement home. Could be. All these Avengers oh, are walking the Avenger around in retirement center. Yeah. The key element, though, key actors, right? You have Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, who plays Captain America, mm-hmm. Chris Hemsworth, that plays Thor, Scarlett Johansson, who plays Black Widow. All of their contracts end after the next Avengers <gasps> movie. Oh, they're going to have to put out a lot of money. So either you resign them or you reset the deck. No, you have Chris to resign them. Chris Evans is done, though. He's not interested. But he came back, so who knows? The other thing is, in the movie, yeah. they say multiple heroes will die. <gasps> Probably the obscure ones that so nobody really knows or cares about. When they die, then they're done forever. Not in the comics. People come back. But... Uh. But this they, could happen. They just pass off the suit to somebody else. You can't pass in the your movie, suit off. In the movie, they do it. So when, well, yeah, because Cap- who wants to wear a suit? Cap- someone else is Captain America. Die, he goes away, and the shield goes to the Winter Soldier. He becomes the new Captain America. Oh wow! They get rid of him. And then in another situation, Captain America can't fulfill his duties, and the Falcon takes over. That's another one they could get rid of. And then Captain America flies around. So uh, Kevin Feige, the head of Marvel Marvel movies, says there will be two distinct periods, everything before Avengers 4 and everything after Avengers 4. PA4, what is it? Yeah. It's interesting because we used to gauge things uh, in terms of when Christ was born. Yeah, BC. But now it's when a certain Avengers movie is out. See what's happening to the world? It's going to be awesome. Also, they're saying the the talks between Disney and Fox for Disney to purchase Fox TV and movies is back on. The report states Disney is progressing speedily, or speedily, as they're saying, towards finalizing a deal to acquire Fox film and TV that would put the like the Simpsons, the Alien and Predator franchise, James Cameron's Avatar, all with Disney, along with the X Men. So you could reunite wow. the X Men and the Avengers, and just go crazy. Hmm. And I think those twenty movies could be completely changed their plan if they have the the, the mutants to come in and be part <laughs> of all that. 
I think this is a big deal, Matt. This is, is huge breaking news. Um, maybe have, they've already teamed up with James, James Cameron because he's working on the other three Avatar films right now. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Did you even remember that movie existed? No. Yeah, me neither. I mean, every once in a while, like, you know, when you're getting a new television and they're showing, they want to show really good color. <laughs> Wait, there's that movie again. Oh, say, so in the Avengers uh, trailer that came out, the yeah. Infinity War trailer. Oh, have, are we still talking yes, about that? At one point, you have Iron Man, Doctor Strange, and Bruce Banner all standing there. Yeah, yeah. Because things are happening. Oh, yeah. They have that look like, uh oh, uh-huh. stuff's going down. The Something's hair, happening. Peter Parker's on a bus, like a school bus going, uh-huh. and the hair on his arm stands up, <gasps> which is the first manifestation no, that is, yeah. of his spider sense. Uh-huh, yeah. That wasn't part of the movie of Spider-Man Homecoming. It's now a thing. I thought that was the, a sign that you're going through puberty. Yeah, now you start getting hair yeah, where there was no hair before. His, that his spider cute. sense is tingling there. Iron Man Hulkbuster armor fighting with the forces of Wakanda. My who's word. where Black Panther's from. Black Panther at one point points at Steve Rogers and says, get this man a shield. Hmm. It's a good moment. You got to watch it. Hmm. Yeah. Thor meets the Guardians of the Galaxy. Anyway, he um, looks at him and goes, "Who are you guys?" Because he falls. If you remember at the end of the Thor movie, yeah. Thor Nerdalus! is in a spaceship. There's uh-huh. a whole thing that ties he, in there, and the evil Titan Thanos walks through hmm. a portal, begin his conquest of Earth. Did you hear that Eli Manning was benched? <clears throat> yeah, it was funny. He was benched. My wife clapped. <laughs> Speaking of superheroes, benched. My wife's not a fan of Eli Manning. Your wife clapped? He, when he was drafted, he was drafted to the San Diego Chargers. Then yeah. he cried and whined and complained, and they traded him to Off New York. Off to New York with you. Yeah, my wife's like, what a baby. And that's like the only thing she remembers of any NFL draft is Eli Manning cried okay. to get out of San Diego. Did you see how I got you out of the whole Avengers <laughs> it thing? It didn't work because when you see Thanos take step on it, you're like, wow, this is going to be a crazy movie. Yeah, sounds incredible. No. I don't believe your comment. Thanos. Thanos. LeBron he, was ejected, too. Yeah. <laughs> he just got, the first time in his entire career, he got ejected. Why, why can't you be excited about movies? Well, those aren't, those aren't, I, I'm excited. I saw two movies over this break, mm. and they were fine. They were great. You know what you need to do, Matt? And I'm watching Longmire. December 15th, Terry is not going to the employee party. No, I'm unavailable. He's not going to, he's not going to see Star Wars. I'll see it the, the next day. The yeah. uh, Last Jedi. I'm going to call you and tell you. Exactly. If, that's no. what you need to do. No. Yeah. Don't you think? I'll, I'll, just, yes. I'll just block you two from any sort of communication. Well, we'll just fine. text you stuff. Well, that's what I mean. I'll just block your text. No, you won't block that because what about the show? Well, Luke. I can unblock it very easily. Terry, Got Luke it. lost his other hand. <gasps> yeah, Luke's my, my, handless. My wife's confused. Why is it a robotic hand now? Because before it looked like just like a normal hand, but the inside was robotic. What? How is this? Your wife asks you know, great questions. She did. I went, That's a very interesting question. We'll find out in the movie, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Or we won't. Yeah, so LeBron apparently got, <laughs> he was kind of mouthy, started chasing a ref around. Yep. Booted. He kind of feels, you, you get this sense that he feels like I'm the best player in the world, therefore I have I some leverage, and they kicked him out. But it's, it, would you not be disappointed? He's gone this long without being ejected. I would have tried to go through my entire career without an ejection. What do you get with that? Do you get an award? Do you get? Yeah, you get the Moral Authority Award. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you want nowadays. He kind of felt like he could do whatever he wanted because no one had ever kicked him out before. Oh, well, so did Eli. Yeah, well. Gone. Eli, Eli plays bad. He plays bad football. Yeah. He keeps throwing the ball to the other team, or not to his team, just to, you know, pieces of carpet. Mm. 
So yeah, he can't play anymore. To me, those are more no. They're more realistic superheroes. Watch the trailer. Then Ant Man. It, it is life. And now we're gonna have Wasp. What is Wasp? Like a Wasp boy? It's, no, a, it's woman. a woman. Oh, it's a woman. Wasp woman. Yeah. Have you seen Ant Man? Yeah, I liked Ant Man. She's in the movie. She's in the movie. They show the suit at the end of the movie. Yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah, well, watch it again. It's a good movie. Yeah, that was like 20 Marvel movies ago. I know, so. that's the it's, thing. You it's can't only keep been them straight. like six or seven ago. Like, think of what kind of demented mind you've got to have to keep all of that straight. Man, it's amazing. It's like warped kind of brain I'll to, bring, I'll bring you to the make comic sense books. of all of I'll that. I'll bring you the comic books so you can you But can there prep. would be thousands of comic books, it, right? It's all contained in one. It's got like 300 pages in it, but... That's a big book. Yeah, it's nice. Just keep them in the bathroom <laughs> for some light reading. It's a good idea. Good idea. I have to put my phone down. Oh, well. Hey, up next, we're going to talk about the future of online dating. It's amazing how uh, things change. And really, in, in, in maybe a good way or not so good way, is it all about swiping now to find your future mate? Up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. You know, it was uh, love at first swipe or Facebook stalking that brought us together. Those are not the romantic stories you want shared at your wedding, right? Yeah, I remember when I stalked him on Facebook. By the way, I have a, my daughter married her husband because she stalked him on Facebook. Uh, however, online dating is on the rise with varying levels of success. Here to talk about it is Dr. Jen Golbeck. She's an associate professor in College of Information Studies at the University of Maryland and is here to, to enlighten us about the future of online dating. Dr. Golbeck, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. What a fun uh, job you've got, huh? You get to no, go. I'm not kidding. I get to do Facebook and Twitter like for work. <laughs> well, and and like I mean, amazing stuff. Uh, that I don't I mean I don't know that I like the idea, but the Tinder swiping left, swipe right. I mean, dating sure has changed from the old days when you know you'd have the lineup and then go down and get a malt together. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's changed even, you know, you look in the last 10 years. So uh, I've been married for a few years now. I met my husband in like probably the oldest school way. Like we had a friend who set us up. There you go. Um, but, you know, I was single for a very long time before that and uh, tried online dating and had, I think, the standard mixed results. I had, you know, some nice relationships with some good guys from it and some just terrible dates that make for good stories with friends. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, the online dating that I was doing in, you know, 2007 is so different from the online dating that there is now. Everything has kind of shifted to mobile. Um, and the technology behind it that tries to match you up with people has become so much more sophisticated. Do we, I guess, first off, do we trust this technology? We hear so much about algorithms and, um, you know, a lot of people are, are selling their wares like, hey, we're the one. We have a 500-point test that you take it and we'll pick your perfect mate. Is, has that technology been verified? Is it valid? Well, it's interesting, like, what you want to count as valid. So, uh, you know, under, under the hood, right, the technology that's driving these dating algorithms that match you up with people – pretty much mathematically is the same as what, say, Netflix uses to recommend you movies or mm. Amazon uses to recommend products. And if we think about those algorithms, like most of the times they get it right, but 
it's kind of boring. Like, we don't need the algorithm to do that, right? Yeah. So if you buy the latest Stephen King book and it recommends 10 more Stephen King books, it's accurate. <laughs> but you could have figured that out on your own. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, if, um, yeah, if you get recommended five more five foot ten blondes, exactly. then, yeah, it's not really deep. And that's how we tend to judge accuracy of the algorithms is, are they giving you things that you're interested in? Well, sure, but like, is that the thing that's going to find you the long-term partner? Hmm. Probably not, right? Because the long-term partner doesn't tend to be the 12th blonde that you <laughs> right. did who's the same, right? It's someone who's a little bit different than what you thought hmm. you wanted, maybe violates your rules for the perfect match a little bit, yeah. but is compatible in this kind of special way. And that's not something we're necessarily great at at this point. Well, yeah, how do you quantify chemistry? Yeah, it's really hard. And, you know, online dating sites do have some, offer some advantage. And something that I know I liked when I was using them is that you get to kind of talk to the person before you go on a date with them, right? Mm. You get to exchange some emails, some texts, see if there is any chemistry there or if it's a real dud and you're like, we can't even have text conversations. I'm not going to waste my time going on a date. Um, but this is the thing that all those tests try to capture, right? So some sites have these big 500-question surveys. Other sites you look at, like OkCupid, which uh, tries a lot of creative stuff. They ask questions like, if someone said, let's just throw everything away and go live on a boat, would you think that's a good idea or oh, a there bad you go. idea? Yeah. Yeah, and that, you know, that tries to capture a little bit more of, you know, your attitude about life. Does it work better? Who knows, right? But there's lots of ways we're trying to get to that idea. Is that, that is, uh, that's fascinating, too, because I, I guess in the end, this may not even be termed right. Like, online dating may not be the right word. It's really kind of more online sorting, because eventually we have to actually date, yeah, I right. think that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's what these sites are good for, you know, in my opinion, both as a person who researches yeah. this and someone who's used them, is that it helps you find other people who are interested in going on dates and figure out which ones you might want to go out with. Uh, but after that, it really shifts to entirely traditional dating, right? You're going to go out. You're going to see how things go. The second date doesn't happen on the dating site. You know, that's something that you work out in person. Um, and, yeah, we need help sorting because there's a ton of people on there. There's a ton of creepy people yeah. on there. There's lying people. Um, so just being able to get a little guidance, like, here's the ones you might be interested in, is helpful. What do you see is the future then? Cause, so we've – I mean, I, my generation, I'm 47. No, what am I, 48? And my generation, like, are te- we're terrified by the idea of online dating because that's – that's just stalkers, right? That's just where all the stalkers <laughs> go. And then, but then it seems like the younger generation is a little bit more uh, accepting of it in a way, um, or other generations are really kind of as a sorting meth- mechanism. Um, you know, people buy cars online, so it's it's more natural. But where does this go in the next generation? What does the future of this look like? Yeah, it's a good question, and I think. So I can tell you, I will tell you where the technology is going, and then we're going to have to figure out as a society if we like that or not, if it's helpful. Um, The technology that we're, what we're getting really good at, and I do this work in my lab, there's lots of other people working on this, is using your data, whether it's from online dating or social media, to find out all kinds of things about you that you haven't explicitly said. So as an example, there's algorithms out there that can look at the things you like on Facebook, right, sports teams and books, whatever, um, and determine, for example, if you're a drinker or a smoker, if you like to use recreational drugs, if your parents divorced, 
even if you have not said or liked anything related to that, uh, we're getting very good at finding out these really intimate personal details from what seems like very anemic casual data. Now that's something that you could then feed into a dating profile. Mm. So we look at smoking, for example. Um, research has shown that compatibility on smoking is a really strong indicator of whether a relationship's going to work out, which yeah. is kind of interesting. Um, so if I may, I'm not, I'm a non-smoker. Um, I may be going online looking for someone to date. I say I want a non-smoker. Guys know that women want non-smokers and they may put that they're a non-smoker, even if they're not. Uh, the technology could catch that, right? It could say to me, Hey Jen, this guy says he's a non-smoker, but we think he actually is a smoker. Uh, it could point me to people that, just like on Netflix, it thinks I'm more attracted to, even if it's outside the scope of what I say I want. Oh, wow. Um, That's you know, scary, is though. Is that good or bad? It yeah. Is, I mean, it's super scary, right? It's the algorithms are understanding secrets and personal things we don't want to share. Um, but do we want them to do that if we're dating? Like maybe keeping a little bit of mystery and stepping a little outside our comfort zone is a good thing. Wow, because you could also say, oh, um, I, I, you might know data you didn't, no, you wanted to know, like, uh, have, do you look at pornography? Do you, I mean, other weird searches. Why are you, are you a hypochondriac? Why are you always on WebMD searching right. for <laughs> diagnoses? I mean, there's no end to the data they can collect. No, and it's hard because if you think about it, right, if any of us sit down, whether we're single or in a relationship and say, you know, let's talk about what your ideal partner would be, right? So, yeah. So you're single, I'm going to make a list, right? I kind of had a, a list. I didn't quite write it down, right? But I was like, all right, like these are the things that really matter. These are the things that, you know, I could go either way on. Uh, and my husband ended up, you know, breaking one of the rules that I said mm. was really important. Um, and there's things where you go, you may say, for example, there's no way I would date a smoker. There's no way I would date, say, a hypochondriac, right? Or yeah. someone who has those sorts of anxiety issues. Um, and then you meet the person and you get to know them as a whole person, and the fact that they have some anxiety issues doesn't really matter, like, because you love the rest of them yeah. and you can deal with the other parts. And that's a thing that we kind of want to worry about as these algorithms start directing us, is they may say, all right, well, you keep skipping over people who have anxiety problems, so we're going to direct you away from people who have anxiety problems, basically match you to more people like the ones you've looked at. And that may take you away from someone that you actually could be really interested in because you've picked a sort of surface trait, which is all you can do on a dating site. Um, and, and that kind of hides the rest of the person. Oh, yeah. That's actually, um, it's interesting, too, because it, it, you would almost assume you know what you like, right? And yeah. maybe, maybe you really don't know what you like, but, or just even our language or the way we search is, oh, yeah, okay, I want, I want them to be tall, and I want, I mean, our criteria is so narrow, but when you start involving all of this other information that we can gather, for example, Jen, let me, let me bring up something. Uh, I hear that recently you just finished the St. Sebastian 50-mile ultramarathon. Oh. <laughs> I sure did. Good job on that. And so Thank now you. I know because of a Twitter feed that you're a marathon, an ultramarathoner, but that now could be incorporated into a profile and search for you. Yeah, and people might go, I don't want to date some like, crazy woman who's like running all the time. <laughs> she she uh, must run all day long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. That's true. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's a lot more to me than that. Right. And, uh, yeah. So, look, I mean, looking this stuff up, right, 
going in, Googling someone, looking at their social media feeds, I think everyone should do that, right? right? We find out important things about people. So if you go to someone's uh, Facebook feed and they're posting a bunch of racist garbage, Done. great, don't yeah. date them, right? Like, right? This is important information that you may not get on their profile. But dating is so complicated. Actually, anything with our preferences is so complicated. You're absolutely right. Like, we're not all that great at articulating what our preferences are, and uh, and the algorithms can can guide us to a really homogeneous set of information, whether it's people to date, whether it's news to read, movies to watch, uh, that takes us out of the kind of richer world that we might want to try experiencing. Mm, so true, and um, I, I guess when if that's the future, if the future is so data oriented. Um, will dating change? I mean, overall, is it, are we going to, I mean, I could see a point where we have also too much data. We have too much information about people that we might just opt not to date. Yeah. <laughs> I like, hope we don't end up not dating. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it could potentially eventually drive people away from these kinds of platforms to other ways of finding partners if they get too algorithmically focused. Um, so let me pick up on something you just mentioned. Like you had said, uh, you know, so these are going to drive us based on the people that we're looking at, um, which is true. That's how they work. But the people that have profiles that you're attracted to may not represent the kind of people you're actually attracted to. Right, right? This is like exactly. like the Coke-Pepsi taste test. You take one sip of Pepsi and that wins. You have to drink a whole can like the Coke tends right. to win more, right? Uh, so someone who you know, puts together a beautiful online profile, which may be the kind of thing that you are attracted to looking at, may not be the person that you want to go on a second date with. And that's a hard thing, and these websites know that. They have a hard time knowing when do you go on the second date, like what actually leads you into a relationship that's good. And do we want to share all that information yeah. with the dating site? Maybe not, but it's something that humans are pretty good at, right? Like if we're setting our friends up, we're really careful about, hopefully, really careful about who we want to put them together with. Right what's going to work out. We know the little nuances, you know, oh, you know, this friend, like she gets super anxious about going to, you know, seafood places, but Bob always wants to go to seafood <laughs> places. Maybe it's not going to work. Like all those little things we yeah. can figure out. It's really hard for an algorithm to do that. So, you know, I'm very pro dating sites. I think they help people Me find too. people to go on dates with. I think that's great. Um, but if you're looking for a relationship, you just have to understand that, there's other things that you might want to be looking for. And, you know, potentially we'll see other services that have a little more of a human touch that help us kind of sort that out going forward. In any of your research, have you found uh, anybody um, doing kind of the Amazon review? I mean, it seems like one thing that might be fascinating is if you do go on dates with people that you can leave reviews, almost like a Yelp yeah. review. And um, because... Like I know on Amazon, if I go read, if they have 3,000 reviews of a product and I can read a lot of them, I tend to actually feel safer about what I'm doing, what I'm purchasing. Um, but what – so A, have you, have you ever seen sites that actually have reviews of people that have dated these people? Or B, and, and is that really just turning everything, everyone into a commodity? We're just – we're basically commoditizing everything. Yeah, I mean, we certainly kind of are on those sites. So th this is something that has off and on appeared in different sites. They've tried it out. And a few problems tend to surface with it. Um, one is that, especially when you're looking at men 
to women reviews, you tend to get a lot of really nasty stuff coming up in there. Uh, Not because all men are doing this, but there's a handful of men who say, oh, you know, she didn't do whatever I wanted. She didn't like this thing. Here's a bunch of nasty yeah. stuff about her. Oh yeah, and then um, it, then it's it's weighted. I mean, it's got to be weighted as a review. It's just that's a one star instead right, of exactly. a five star. And, yeah, and that kind of harassment, especially in the men to women space, um, is a real problem on a lot of mm. these sites. Like we know that happens, and so the reviews, you know, when that was an option, were kind of coming out. In fact, some sites knew that and tried just allowing women to leave reviews of men, uh-huh. which yeah. is kind of interesting. Yeah. So, so that, that is an issue that comes up in here. Um, some of these sites have – so you don't really see reviews on most kind of major dating sites for this reason. Right. Uh, but what a lot of them have tried to do is give a mechanism for people to report people who we might not want on the platform. So it could be I go on a date, the guy's really pushy, yeah. aggressive, I felt unsafe. I can report that to the platform so they're not allowing kind of sexual predators yeah, to, to prey, right? We want that. Um, we've also seen more recently that people are able to report um, harassers, but also kind of neo-Nazis, mm. kind of violent, racist people, because the platforms don't want to be supporting that kind of audience either, right? You don't want to become the dating site of white supremacists. <laughs> and, uh, and they've been kicking people off the platforms, if you know, not just you know, for small reasons, but if it looks like you're a neo-Nazi, they're kicking you off. Um, So there are these ways that people can give feedback and the platform can control who's there. Um, But yeah, the review thing hasn't worked out, and I'm kind of glad about it. I mean, it seems like that would just, that could get ugly. And yeah, that's why this is such a personal thing. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Jen Goldbeck. She's an associate professor in the College of Information Studies at the University of Maryland. And we're discussing um, uh, some work she's doing on the future of online dating and some of the problems that, that we may be running into when it comes to, and actually opportunities. It really is I'm very, like you, pro-online dating, haven't ever done it, but a lot of my clients I work with have. And, I mean, I, my rule is, uh, you know, it's a big country. We have a big world, and um, you still got to date this person. And if you're going to find them online, I think really you need to even date them longer and, and just to get more information, to get more data about it. What, what else um, – what other advantages do you see – about online dating, what disadvantages uh, should people be as leery of it as as they might be? Yeah, I mean, so speaking first from personal experience, you know, like I said, I had, you know, some very good dates that didn't go places. I had some that led to relationships that lasted a few months. I had some really terrible ones. Uh, that pretty much echoes my offline dating <laughs> experience too, right? Right. Um, had some really bad dates, had, you know, some good relationships come out of it. So, you know, I think in that sense, it's it's leading you to a different pool of people than you might find if you're going, you know, through your social circle, through activities that you do. Um, but the outcomes tend to be similar, right? Because you go on a first date, and oftentimes those are very casual. I mean, I did a lot of coffee dates, right? Like, let's get coffee yeah, in the yeah. afternoon from online dating. Um, and that kind of lets you see, okay, person's not crazy. <laughs> not, <laughs> not too, or they are, right? And, yeah. and you get to make a decision about, you know, do you get to do something more serious? I totally agree with the point that you raised that um, online dating should give you an opportunity to go on more dates and talk more because you don't have the kind of shared background or experience that you do with people you, you know, tend to say meet because they played on your volleyball team right. and then you go on a date. Um, 
so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a great opportunity to find a bigger space of people, um, actually to broaden our interests, right? If you meet someone online, it means you haven't met them through your social circle. So they may take you to museums that you wouldn't have gone to otherwise. They may expose you to the sports team that, they're, that you're interested in. And so it's a great way to kind of broaden the social world that you're interacting in. So I think it's, it's a great thing. And look, even if you're not interested in you know, getting married and settling down and having a serious relationship, you just want to go out on some dates, it's a great way to meet people, right? Mm. And, um, you know, I had some bad dates, but I had very few super creepy experiences dating online. Um, it, was, it kind of echoed my offline experience in that way, too. And is um, it more how we I mean, work today? Like, it seems like we are pretty attuned online, I mean, to what we see. We understand what's kind of normative and, and healthier in a way just because we interact online so much. Maybe it is more in our wheelhouse to, to find people this way. Yeah, I mean, you look at, like, you know, what's the alternative, right? So I've gone through, you know, I have my social circles. There's nobody there to date. Right. right. Everybody's married or, you know, I'm not interested. If you can't, um, if you don't go bar hopping every night, if you've got a job and a life and you're trying to run an ultra marathon for crying out loud. <laughs> that's it, right? I mean, you're busy. You, like you have your life. And if there's no one in your life that you're really interested in dating, what are you going to do? Like, you can go bar hopping, you can try going to singles events, but, like, is that any different than, like, going online and, you know, seeing a narrative that someone has written, seeing some photos, looking at the stuff they like? Um, I don't think so. No. I mean, I think the online experience allows you to really kind of look around and uh, and find people that you might be interested in, who you know are also available and interested in dating. Yeah. Um, so it's a great opportunity in that way, but, you know, as with everything online, Plenty of people lie. I mean, I think most people lie in online dating sites, but in the expected ways. Uh, men say they make more money than they do. Women say they're thinner and younger than they are. Like, <laughs> these are the standard lies that we see. And like, um, we, I guess we, we don't assume anyone will ever catch on. I, it's weird, right? Like, if you post a 10-year-old picture of yourself, <laughs> eventually you're going to meet the person and they're going to know, right? Like, woo, uh, you've aged. Yeah, who knows, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, that was a great picture. What happened? <laughs> what, um, what advice would you give us as we wrap up, um, you know, to make it safer for all of us um, and, and really more accurate? If somebody wants to seriously go give it a really strong attempt – of online dating, what are two or three things that you'd recommend we do to keep it safe and, and really have the best shot? Yeah, so I would say, you know, number safety absolutely should be your number one thing. Um, it's not all that dangerous, but you still want to check people out. So I would say, one, when you're picking a site, look at what kind of filtering they do for this kind of thing. Like, bad incidents happen, and so if I report that I was assaulted or felt dangerous on a date with someone on a site, what do they do? They're going to say that somewhere buried in the section of the site. So look for that. See if they're going to take people off who are dangerous. Um, Number two is, as you're browsing through people, if you decide you want to go out with someone or you're interested in them, have long conversations with them over email or text before you go meet them in person. Like figure out kind of what person they are, you're going to get some personal information where you can go look them up on social media, right? You don't have to stalk them, uh, but there's nothing wrong with looking at their Facebook page or their Twitter page to kind of see what person they are. Um, 
that's going to give you good information before you go on that first date. And then, yeah, if you're interested in doing it, I would say learn from your experiences, right? So there's, there are people on these sites all the time who flake out. There are people on the sites who are way too into it um, <laughs> and start, you know, they call you the girlfriend on the first date. And, uh, you know, figure out those kinds of things. There's a, the world is a rich tapestry as are the people on these sites. So, you know, figure out the things that are kind of warning signs for you. And, uh, you know, not that the person's necessarily bad, but they're not someone you want to date. And you're going to start getting a taste of the kind of profile that seems like a person that's going to lead you to a good date. And, you know, does that lead you to a future partner? Who knows? Um, but at least you have a good time for a few hours. Yeah, no, exactly. Great stuff. Jen Goldbeck, thank you for uh, your time. Again, Jen is an associate professor in the College of Information Studies at the University of Maryland and really is a world leader in social media research and science communication. Honored to have her on board. And, boy, dating uh, online, its it actually seems like it's going to uh, – include even more data. So be careful of the data you're putting out there. It may actually uh, scare people away. That would be sad. We'll continue the journey up next, uh, doing what we can to help you uh, live longer, love stronger, lead healthier lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Shines in a different way. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball. Play ball, friends. You got to play ball. Nothing uh, harder than the online dating world, people tell me. But you know what? Uh, I think you ought to try the offline dating world. That's just as hard, it seems like. With the clients I work with, um, one of the things you might want to do, and this sounds totally weird, but uh, it actually works, is look at your online dating kind of as a marketer would. A marketer um, tries to cast the biggest net that they can. When I work with uh, – and I do a lot of singles workshops and single classes for singles. I always have uh, you know, a bunch of people in the group that are telling me their, their uh, qualification criteria or their, their disqualification criteria. And they make a really big list of what they don't want. And then by doing that and then by typing all of that information into your search engine um, or your, uh, the site you're working on, you, you actually then narrow all of your possibilities. So, for example, someone will say, I only want to marry – I only want to date somebody in Utah. Oh, okay. Well, okay. But I want them to be like LDS. I want them to, to be a certain faith. Okay. But only in Utah. Well, yeah, why? Well, because I only want to date Utah. I mean, I don't want to date somebody in another state because I don't want to. Well, the funny thing is you don't even have a date with someone in another state. So why are we excluding them right now? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great? I mean, when was the last time you dated somebody from another state? Well, I never have. Well, why are we excluding them? Why don't we just allow LDS people from any state? Oh, okay. By the way, when you do that, you'll still have probably an 80% chance of finding your person in your area. Because there's a lot of people under LDS in our state. Or what about ages? Well, I don't want to date somebody older or younger. Oh, so you want somebody exactly your age. Yeah, exactly. So see how we narrow our choices. And, and so open up your mind a little bit to what is out there and what you'd be okay with. Five years older, five years younger. You just now have a 10-year span of people you could date. Well, I really don't want to date someone younger than me. How many dates have you gone on in the last month? Well, none. Okay. Do you want to date or don't you? Watch out for your exclusion criteria. Try not to be uh, to exclude everybody at first. Just cast a broad net, a big, wide, broad net. Get people into the net 
then start talking to them, dating, and you might be amazed at what you find. You might actually find love. Careful. It's just... It's just finding online. It's not even online dating. It's just online finding. A little tip for you from the Coach Map. Up next, we'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends. You know, quick little update on the San Francisco uh, story. It was a it was there's a little a, cul-de-sac. There's a little cul-de-sac, exclusive, all the houses, people just super wealthy. They didn't pay taxes, property taxes, on their private yeah. street for two decades. Some guy was able some to look investor. through some records from the city and went, huh. So he bought it for like 90000 or whatever You pay it was. ninety grand, you own a street. He owns this street, and he kind of looked at everyone that lived on the street and said, are you going to pay me for parking, or what are we doing here? And they... Uh, yeah, so they what fought back. So the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco uh, split 7-4 on the move They in favor of the residents. They, so the street goes back. They're saying they didn't receive enough notice before their sidewalks, street, and common areas were sold at auction in 2015. Oh, boy. They said it was not good policy to allow an out-of-town land speculator to swoop in on law-abiding property owners who simply did not know they owed tax on their street. So you got to... What does he just now own a street without any way to generate income, or can he no, sell they, it back to they him? They took it back, oh, so they, they refunded. The they probably didn't happen. gave him the money back and okay. just let ah. the people pay their property tax. Nice try. Make sure you pay your property tax, or you may lose your street. A little advice from the Matt Townsend Show. We'll continue the journey next hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday to you. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side, along with my cohort, Terry and Jeffrey. The gang's gathered uh, just wearing his BYU broadcast or his BYU uh Funny cougar shirt. Yeah, and it's not because they won the game last no, night. No, it is. You're, that's all you're talking about. I mentioned it you in, love, in passing. You love them cougars. If if they win. Yeah. By the way, what would win in a real fight, a cougar or, or a wolverine? Ooh, that's a great question. Maybe it depends a if it's a Michigan wolverine or a UVU. That's true. Wolverine, wolverine is smaller. Yeah, but boy, but they're those vicious. things, they're vicious. Ooh. So vicious. Uh, speaking of vicious, <laughs> nice segue. Speaking of vicious, uh, boy, oh boy, another um, allegation against Al Franken. Uh, Matt Lauer's getting more play. All the night shows, the, the late night shows are making jokes, making fun. It's, uh, it's a crazy world we're living in right now. These iconic figures are, they're in trouble. And uh, with sexual misconduct and allegations of sexual misconduct, I really um, hope over uh, the weeks and weeks and weeks that we're going to be covering all of this that we can open up a discussion. Isn't it kind of telling, too, how fast people in your own medium will turn on you? Yeah. Like, first you're the king of NBC, and the next thing you know, NBC comedians are making fun of you as the fallen king. That, I guess, in the end, is... Why it's probably risky to, you know, to make your whole life about fame and fortune. And at some point, you, you still just got to be a good guy. And 
I guess, be able to take a joke because you're going to be laughed at. Or just you, keep your clothes on around other people. Well, I mean that. There's that. There's that. Just keep your hands tied behind your that, back and then that. you'll be fine. Unless there's the hands. There's the clothes. But don't fall on somebody because then you'll get uh, you'll get accused of unwanted falling on. Don't yeah. don't have a button installed in your office that locks the door from your seat. Yeah. There's that. Yeah. Can I keep the trap door button though? I maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems like there's a lot of odd elements to this. Well, and where were all these stories 5 years ago? Because what we keep hearing over and over is people knew, people heard stuff. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe not in Matt Lauer's case as much, but others heard, I mean, Roger Ailes. Yeah. Not a new story. No. Weinstein, not a new story. And so we then covered – I mean I get why if you're a victim of it, you don't bring it out. I get that. But, but then they, everyone, they still go talk to everyone else about it. Everyone else just after a while, it becomes normalized. Mm-hmm. It's not happening to me, so I guess it's not that big a deal. And yeah, I guess yeah. you know, and it's maybe part, part of the business. Yeah, that's it. And, and it's – these are the money makers, right? These are the people that make the decisions and are in the positions. I mean, Harvey Weinstein had in his contract a, uh, a clause that said if he was caught and sued – that the company that he worked for, Miramax, wouldn't yeah. take on the, that fine. He would pay it. So that was in his contract. Hmm. Yeah, so, so they obviously so had negotiated his problem. They had an out, problem. out clause for any of his problems. They wouldn't be affected wow. by it. So said, when this happens. Yeah. Yeah. So at that point, they're like, okay, this is what he does. Oh, this right. is who it's, he is. It's that position of power, though, especially somebody like Harvey Weinstein, who he could make or break your career. Oh, yeah. And... Your life in some of these cases. Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine some of these women that were just wanting to get ahead in life and you're then – you're just totally controlled by a guy like that. So we're going to hear I, – I, you know, I'm sure one a day forever and um, – It's also my favorite kind of vitamin. By too, the way, yeah. The one I, a day. I see you take it every day. That's uh, – you actually take two a day, which I think is overdosing. Successive. Yeah. Okay. Somebody really wants to – Feel good about himself. Today, by the way, uh, we're going to be talking about how social media uh, fires um, p- up people's passions. We got a, It's a great interview that um, I learned a lot, actually, when, when we interviewed this guy last night because uh, he really – social media is your friend, but it also is designed in a way that it just becomes this major passion for him. And there's not a lot of checks. And then when no one's checking you and you're anonymous, man, you can get away with a lot. So you just start saying everything you want to say. And the next thing you know, you're, on the, you're on the news. Uh, we'll be covering all of that fun stuff. Um, plus, uh, now Kushner, Trump's uh, son-in-law, mm. there's more and more information coming out about old Kush. Kush. He's, gonna, <laughs> he's been talking to people. He's young, though, isn't he? Yeah, old, young Kush. Old, young but Kush. old yeah. in, the, in the sense that he's been talked about a lot. Yeah. That old. Uh, so we'll get to all of that fun stuff. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we should be paying attention Former to? Former Today Show host, co- uh, co-host Matt Lauer this morning apologized. He had a statement that was read as the Today Show opened this morning. It says, to the people I have hurt, I am truly sorry. Some of what has been said about me is untrue or mischaracterized, but there is enough truth in these stories to make me feel embarrassed and ashamed or regret my shame is now shared by the people I cherish dearly. And he goes on, uh, uh, right after the announcement was made of his termination yesterday, Variety and and the New York Times 
uh, released the information and the stories oh, they, they were working on. They're quite detailed of the allegations against him, at least from other people, not, uh. not the person that actually went to NBC and... Now, him fired, so, so here's the weird thing. I mean, yep. it's it's weird. Okay, sexual, uh, al- sexual. What are we calling it? Uh, misconduct. Mis- sexual misconduct or allegations of sexual misconduct. That's bad. Yes. But what about the people now that just want to go read about it? Because well, there's, there's a voyeurism. It's, to it, a, yes. it's selling a lot of <laughs> magazines. Like, oh, so what did Matt do? Now, what did he do? Give me the details. And so I might be just as worried about myself if that's what I was wanting to go read. It's a good maybe point. That's part of the problem. It's a great point. Two other points. Yesterday, uh, there's a reporter on um, Headline News. Her name's Ashley Banfield. She yeah. used to work in NBC. Yeah, yeah. Uh, during, uh, she's one of the reporters that were on the street as 9-11 was happening. Oh, wow. She was reporting from New York. She has this TV show, so she brought in former and current employees of NBC. She talked to many of them on the phone, talked to some on the air, and she said of all the people she spoke with, it's around 50% that say they knew something was going on. 50% had no idea. Interesting. Hmm. Some people are like, wow, they're shocked it was Matt Lauer. Other people are like, well, you know, I heard some things. Isn't it that? And it's just this sort of uh, yeah. office culture. Who talks? Who's in the right group to know what's happening? Well, and- like in your office, do you know the guy or gal that always eats fish? No. Or do you know the one that, that loves garlic? No. Are you, I used to... Oh, well, yeah, you're not around. I'm not though. around... Uh, but, but if you're around other, all other day, places, absolutely. Yeah, you know. I haven't seen it, but Matt, I've heard some things about you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Naps. I do. <laughs> every day. I get an email every morning from a CNN media reporter. Mm-hmm. Just he puts out an he email. He sends you an email. It's personal. Terry, um, no, here you go, brother. Thing. But uh, there was a quote from a uh, uh, an event he was at last night. The guy was talking about it. He said, in the last 18 months... NBC blew two of the biggest stories that have ever come down the, the pike for him. First, Donald Trump, the Billy, the, the Access Hollywood tape. NBC had the tape because Access Hollywood is an NBC property. So NBC had the tape but held off and let the Washington Post Why? release it first. Then they go, oh, here's the video. Okay. Right? So they, they kind of held off on that, and people are like, that's odd. You had the tape. Why didn't you? Yeah. Why would you wait? The other one was uh, the uh, Harvey Weinstein. NBC had the reporter's last name's Farrell was working on the Harvey Weinstein case. They got real close to the end of it, and they're like, ah, they passed. And then Farrell went to the New, oh, the New Yorker with it, right? Yeah. So now they're wondering, you took those two big high-profile sexual misconduct situations and passed. Does this have to do with because you knew something was bad in-house, oh, and you didn't want to kind of put yeah, that microscope on we don't want to start it. that fight. Don't know, but that's kind of being discussed. And, I mean, those are two mega powerhouses right maybe yeah you don't oh boy. not sure hmm. white house responded to reports that anti-muslim videos retweeted by president trump on wednesday are fake by basically shrugging whether it's a real video the threat is real and that's what the president is talking about white house press secretary sarah huckabee sanders told the press the videos were initially shared by jida franson the deputy leader of britain's far-right anti-immigrant britain first group the videos have been debunked not to show immigrant Muslim violence, and so they're they're kind of they're they're graphic videos of people yeah. being uh, being attacked basically, but they're being attacked by fellow citizens, not immigrants to the country that they're in. Yeah, and so the whole point of what the video is supposed to to mean and to represent isn't what, isn't it. what it is. But the president goes ahead and retweets those. Well, I mean, because we, somebody's got to report the news. <laughs> I guess. 
Uh, a poll conducted by JMC Analytics has Alabama Senate candidate Roy Moore ahead of his Democratic opponent Doug Jones by five percentage points. Wow. 48 to 43 per uh, an Alabama newspaper. Earlier this month, JMC had Jones leading by more by four points. So it was the other way. The Democrat was yeah. leading down there in Alabama. It's back and forth. Other polls released this week tell a similar story that Moore is regaining ground after the outrage from the allegations of sexual harassment has cooled down. Based on these findings, JMC concludes that the sexual misconduct allegations against Moore have not materially impacted the race. Oh, please. So people are warming up to this idea. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know Maybe I do of? want an older man hitting on a younger woman. It reminds me of the old days uh, when we used to have mall walking. Yeah. And it's <laughs> like a race at a mall. And Roy Moore is like this tenacious competitor that just keeps circling the mall, just circling, but always a couple steps ahead of Jones. Mall walking. Mm-hmm. Is that like when you throw on some Reeboks and yeah. put on a headband and uh-huh. That's what he did. do a speed Apparently, walk? Apparently, he used to be really good at it when he was a young man. Wow. Senate candidate Roy Moore on Wednesday told churchgoers in Alabama... The LGBT community slash Washington establishment is behind the multiple sexual misconduct allegations against him. Oh, yeah. Hold he kinda, on it. Hold he kind of ranted and raved a little Hold bit. on. Uh, the LGBTQ community. community is behind it, yep. but none of the women that came out were LGBTQ. No. They and, were just And several, young were, girls several voted were... for President Trump, so saying their Washington establishment is kind of huh. an interesting approach. Well, you know, Alabama, you got a big decision to make. Uh, the Senate on Wednesday voted to open debate on the GOP tax overhaul bill, setting up a vote on final passage later this week. The party line vote, 52-48, represented the largest step forward for the legislation so far. Many mm. many are still concerned that it may raise the national debt. Yeah. The uh, official score says it will add $1.5 trillion to the deficit over the next 10 years, and it relies on strong economic growth models to lessen that impact. Well, yeah, yeah. But what you're failing to notice mm. is how the the economy will be impacted. Sure, the deficit will go up $1.4 trillion, mm. but the economy will grow like crazy. A lot of money will be brought back to America. That's what they're saying. Yeah. They have no way to know this. Or well, it's a prediction. I bet you two more Trump, uh, rest, or Trump um, hotels will be open, maybe. Okay. A couple more golf courses. There's some ideas. It's a big deal. And what if it doesn't pass? Man, they feel like they have the votes. That's why they're well, pushing it through at record speed. Didn't we hear that with health care? And... Right. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, finally, an airline pilot union says a computer glitch at American Airlines left approximately 15,000 scheduled flights during the busy December holiday travel season without a captain, co-pilot, or both. Mm. This sounds like something we could pull off. Here oh, yeah. at BYU Radio, little mo- yeah. Who couldn't? I mean, it's just an airplane. <laughs> let's get let's get Lynn on the glitch. Lynn, we need a the, pilot. A, the Allied Pilots Association tells CNN that it learned about a failure within the pilot scheduling bidding system last Friday. Thousands of flights currently do not have pilots assigned to the to fly them during the upcoming critical holiday period. Oh, boy. According to the LA Times, a computer error let too many pilots get time off for the holidays, or as American Airlines Captain Dennis uh, Taser put it to CNBC, the system went from responsibly scheduling everyone to become becoming Santa Claus for everyone. Yeah. It just left all these dates open for vacations. Everyone took it because, you know, Christmas. Well, who wouldn't want, yeah. I don't want to fly during Christmas. Um, so, Apparently, though... They have loaded planes. He goes, <laughs> the computer said, hey, y'all, 
You want the days off? You got it. So now they're trying to fix wow. it. You think that would just just the fact that their computer talks like a yeah. southern It's like, what's going on? So American accent. Airlines says, we, re- we have reserved pilots to help cover flying in December, and we are paying pilots who pick up certain open trips 150% of their hourly rate Ooh. to try to cover this mistake. Let's get Elon Musk on a self-flying plane. Ooh, let's not do that. Why not? Well, they, you want to live. They sort of self-fly <gasps> by themselves anyway. So wait a minute. You're all for self-driving cars, yes. but not self-driving plane or self-flying planes. Yeah, no. Well, there's two critical moments in every flight. But you're safer in a plane than you are in the car. Did you know that? Yeah. So explain yourself. It's just the takeoffs and the landings that I care to have a pilot for. <laughs> and for the most part, that's what they do. They yeah. take off autopilot. Yeah. And then take it off autopilot to land. Yeah. So, I mean, unless you're going to somehow, you know, drop one off mid-flight, I kind of feel like they need to be there for the takeoff. Hey, it worked in the film Airplane when they had that autopilot yeah. that inflated. Yeah, that was different. Okay. That didn't work, actually. That was a movie. Man, Jeff. Are we, do we have to keep teaching you this? All movies aren't true, Jeff. Did you realize we're only going to process about half of what you say as long as this TV is on behind you? No, I totally do. Neither of you are even Just watching a guy (laughs) standing in uh, the Bahamas talking about golf. It doesn't even matter what he says. Nope, he's in the Bahamas. He's on the TV, so we're watching. Beautiful. Why is it that you two get to see the TV, but I have to just look at you two? Are you complaining about that? Yeah. I'm a little upset about that. Speaking of movies, that Avengers trailer got 41 million views in 24 hours. Yeah, but you watched it like 5 million times. Well, yeah, I did my part. Do you know how many times I've been criticized because I haven't watched it yet? Six. It's a good guess. How many? What's the accurate answer? Well, it's probably just more like two. Okay. Um, (laughs) Help us here, Terry, with what's going on with Michael Flynn. Has he turned on the president or not? The, The... the belief is that he had. Last week, his lawyer said they've stopped communicating about any sort of uh, ongoing investigation with the White House. Even which like means, the grand jury's been postponed. Yeah. So if you cut off contact with the White House lawyers, then the suspect they, they suspect he's talking with uh, the, the, the investigators. He's talking with Mueller. And he's doing this to protect his, his boy. Yeah, Apparently his boy could have been got, could have gotten in some big trouble. Here. Well, he's in trouble because he was coordinating with Turkey. He was coordinating the, the the story that came out was uh, Michael Flynn was coordinating with Turkey to set up a what felt like a kidnapping oh, yeah. of a guy who's in this country lawfully. Yeah, because the government of Turkey thinks he's the guy that that oh the was, pa- this is the pastor dude or yeah the, he's the yeah he they he's a cleric i guess you oh, could say a cleric. but he uh somehow is the guy that was responsible for the attempted coup over uh-huh. president erdogan in, yeah. in turkey so they're all trying to do this and flynn was trying to kind of to, a pseudo but there was like a kidnapping three to five million dollar payoff that Woo. that michael flynn and his his friends that were involved in all this would have gotten it's just a weird situation for the guy heading up the national security yeah. committee for you know so I don't know. It's a it's an interesting story. Now, is he actually cooperating or not? I don't believe we Mueller's don't even said. But no. but it is interesting that Mueller could just sit back and just kind of leave this out there. And, and some, some people are suggesting some of the erratic behavior over the last few days from the president. Yeah, the Pocahontas stuff, the tweeting of videos, the 
just uh, kind of odd comments of some of the live uh, speeches he's given recently? Is that because he's feeling pressure because yeah, maybe saying, yeah. Flynn knows things and he's concerned about what he's saying? And Flynn may know even more about Kushner, I guess, too, because now Kushner's on the hot seat. Right. Next week, Trump Jr. Like Trump Jr. is going to go to the go to a, the the House because he's already yeah. spoken to the Senate. Uh, meanwhile, Ivanka's going to hold some big meeting, and uh, the department—no, who is it? The State Department hmm. leaders aren't going. Did you hear about that? No. Why aren't they going? Uh, just not interested. Okay, that's rude. <laughs> but it, it may be talking more about like there's tension between Tillerson and the big dog, oh. uh, Presidente Trump. Presidente. Mm-hmm. That's just his international reference. El Jefe. El Jefe. <laughs> hey, uh, this, a study that's out uh, shows that the car you drive may reveal whom you voted for. Really? Mm-hmm. Stanford University researchers used a computer algorithm. Mm. They're using a lot of these lately. Right. To determine whether uh, the, a neighborhood leaned left or right by looking at the vehicles in 50 million of images from the street Google Street app in that area. Okay. So by just they just going through the images, they can actually determine what uh, with eighty eight percent chance they can determine if who you voted for. Sedans outnumbered pickup trucks. Um, uh, when sedans outnumbered pickup trucks, there was an eighty eight percent chance that the city would vote Democratic. Mm. Right. So Democrats apparently drive sedans. Yeah. Right. Uh, I guess Republicans drive trucks. Of course. With, I guess, mud flaps how that else are... Do you, how else do you... I mean, you can put those huge flags in the bed of your truck. I mean, you oh, yeah. can't do that in your car. In areas with more pickup trucks, the odds switch to 82% in favor of Republicans. If you want to roll coal, you can't do that with like a nah. Civic. You're not doing that with a Taurus. No. What about a Toyota Camry Solara? No. Uh, you're probably not voting because you're in a senior center. <laughs> There's just lack of judgment there, yes. <laughs> No offense, but I mean your Solara. Let's get real. Is the cleanest, nicest, most perfect car in the parking lot. I get compliments compliments on it everywhere I go. I'm sure you do. So this is kind of living up to the stereotypes. It really is. Hmm. But apparently, Stanford's proving the stereotypes are real. Well, there's a little bit of truth in every stereotype. There's a reason why it's a stereotype. That sounds like that's a stereotypical phrase. Probably. Yeah. The types of cars also provided information about the race, income, and education levels of a neighborhood in the mm. study as well. Volkswagens and Aston Martins were associated with white neighborhoods. <laughs> Aston Martins, yeah. okay. Uh, I have a Volkswagen, yeah. um, obviously white. Uh, while Chrysler's, Buicks, and Old Mo- Oldsmobiles tended to be uh, appear more in African-American neighborhoods. Hmm. The researchers cross-checked their predictions against actual Census Bureau data and voting results. Wow. Pretty interesting, huh? Boy, there's the little things you learn. We've got to turn this TV off. Yeah, that, I think you need to learn that by now. We're not we're still not listening. I think you two need to learn that all you have to do is talk a little bit and no one will know you're listening. We have been talking. Yeah, we're participating. No? Okay. They're just basketball highlights. Just a little test we're running on the Matt Townsend show. I, I, I missed some games last night. We turned the television on today. And uh, no, it was on before. It was apparently on all night. Yeah. And now I can't get my crew to crew. <laughs> what are we doing? 
Anyway, up next, we're going to be talking about how social media fires people's passions and builds extremist divisions. Interesting interesting interview coming up with Dr. Robert Cosinet. In one study released in late October by the Pew Research Center, Americans were found to have become increasingly partisan in their views. On issues as diverse as health care, immigration, race and sexuality, Americans today hold a more extreme and more divergent views than they did a decade ago. And here to discuss the one of the reasons, at least, for this change is Robert Cousinets. Uh Robert uh, V. Cousinets is the Jane and Hans Humpschmid Chair of Strategic Public Relations at the USC Annenberg, a position that he shares with the USC Marshall School of Business. At uh, and um, we're honored to have you here, Robert. Thanks for your time and uh, giving us some some light and understanding about social media. Well, thanks very much, Doctor Matt. It's good to be here. Good to and have I'm you. Sorry to give you a challenge with my last name and Huffschmidt. I know I, you've you've put it all in sorry one title. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's okay. No, it really that. is. This is an interesting thing because social media, um, it, it is, it's one of the big differences, it seems, from this last election and the last few elections. We, we are more socially, um, I guess, uh, engaged with our social um, media, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're, we're you know, more connected in a loving way. T- tell me about what you're finding out about yeah. social media and how it divides us. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of a long story. So, uh, you know, I, I will give you the summary version. If you want to fill in some of the details, uh, we can do that. But I've, I've been looking at uh, social media for about 20 years. I actually did my, uh, my dissertation work in 1995 on Star Trek fans. Oh, wow. uh, and I found that Star Trek fans, yeah, we're using, we're using social media a lot back in the 90s. Actually, some of the first people on the original Internet, which was the ARPANET, we're fans of, of Star Trek and science fiction people. So you can kind of see the connection there. Yeah. But, you know, from the very beginning, uh, we had these warning signs that, that, that uh, when people were online, particularly in uh, environments where they were anonymized, that we saw these, you know, all these things like uh, you know, trolling. All of this came from the, from the early Internet, flaming, uh, you know, groups of people uh, getting together and attacking others. Uh, feeling, you know, um, very free to express extreme uh, opinions and then coming back at others who expressed other uh, extreme opinions and, and being you know, quite vehement in their criticism. Um, so it was, it was really there at the beginning. And uh, to be honest, it concerned me a little bit from the start. And in my earliest stuff that I wrote, you know, well before blogging, never mind uh, Facebook and Twitter, I kind of pointed out that um, this was bringing out, yes, it was connecting people, but it was also connecting their passions. Mm. Uh, and as we saw these, uh, uh, you know, sort of free from cost um, and abstract ways to express ourselves become more and more common, we also saw this license to, um, you know, express a, a level of animosity that people would really hesitate to do uh, in real life. I certainly hope they would hesitate uh, to do in real life. Um, and so, you know, to be honest, I think we're still seeing the tip of the iceberg. Social media is still, uh, you know, growing. Uh, the amount of time people are spending on, on it in general is growing. We've got generations now 
that are growing up with this in this, as an essential way to communicate. And, you know, the research that, um, that you're quoting that we started off by looking at, you know, looking at some of the things that were going on in the, you know, the, the political partisan sphere, but it certainly doesn't only extend to that. Uh, that, you know, that's, that's more, more recent, uh, work that, that really, uh, came from some, uh, looking at, at food porn. And what we found in that, uh, study was that when people stayed with their, their groups, you know, if you're on Facebook and you're a member of sort of a, you know, food sharing group or a recipe sharing group or a mom's group, then there was a, there was a real pressure to, um, to conform basically to the, to the ideals and the norms of, of those groups. And that was fine. So you see this sort of, yeah, I mean, I guess it's, I guess it's not fine if you really want to be expressive and creative, but if you're talking to your group, it's a pretty uh, tame and civilized conversation and it doesn't really go out of bounds. But once people wanted to extend that group and talk to wider groups, uh, sort of build their own personal brand and have this uh, wider appeal, so if you wanted to become a food blogger, you had to reach out in some way. And one of the ways that a number of people were doing it, because it was fairly effective and fairly easy to do, was to take an extreme position. Yeah. So if you were, a food, yeah. So if you're a food blogger, you 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 post a picture of of a you know a crazy pizza that has <laughs> hamburgers and fried chicken and all kinds of things uh, baked on it. If you're involved in you know a relationships or or uh, sex, then you have something on the extreme end of that. But the problem over time is that those things become the benchmarks and they move more and more towards the mainstream. And, and things get more and more extreme to, to seem marginal when what used to be marginal is now mainstream. Oh, so you boy. Got moving target. Yeah. And, then, and that's what we're seeing happen. Um, you know, I think it explains quite a bit that's going on in the world right now. Things seem to be moving very quickly, uh, you know, out of our control and to these extremes and to these polar, polar oppositions. Boy, I've had, it's, it's we, funny that you say that because when I started radio about 10 years ago, uh, the person that was coaching me basically said, um, yeah, you got to you got to take a very extreme position. So don't just don't just have a position, take an extreme position. And yeah. then that's how we'll grow our listenership. And I'm like, well, but I don't want to take an extreme position on family and marriage and all these other things right. I was talking about. Anyway, it was, but it it does it. But I guess that what it does is it ignites yeah. passions, but it doesn't necessarily increase right. accuracy or information. I think actually the contrary. Yeah, exactly. Right? So what you're mentioning is very very informative because what was happening there was you were trying to broaden your audience, right? Yeah. And and in, instead of appealing to the mainstream because that's not so interesting, you were the advice you were given was to go to the extremes because that will attract more people or at least more more. Um, uh, more vocal people, right? More visible people. And now if you multiply that, so it, now think about all the people who are online who are building their own brands and building their own followings, right? And want to have a lot of retweets or they want to have a lot of subscribers or they have a YouTube channel. All of them following that same advice at yeah. the same time. That's what we're seeing. Oh, that's so yeah. scary. Because then you've also, you have to keep, you have to keep the monster fed. Right. So you you have to keep going more and more extreme. That's the whole idea. So, you know, I mean, we 
the, the data I have stretches back, again, 20 years, looking at uh, fragmentation and a whole bunch of other things. The more recent stuff is only on food porn, but we thought, well, this, you know, this kind of, when we saw that Pew Internet uh, research result, which showed, you know, over time, these uh, partisan groups sort of pulling apart. So there was nothing in between, only the extremes. We thought, well, that's, that looks very similar to the kind of effect that, that, you know, that we're postulating. So I don't have data from all of that. I don't know that you can get data from all of that. Right. But, uh, you know, I am an anthropologist by training, so I'm really, I'm very interested in uh, the effect of technology on culture. And so that's what I've been, you know, constantly attuned to. And my feeling is that, you know, there's been some amazingly positive uh, aspects of technology. And we hear a lot about those because obviously it's in the interest of the companies uh, that are that are promoting them to, to let us know that there are a lot of good things coming from it. But the negative ones, we don't hear as much about. Now we're starting to see them. But I think people are very confused about cause and effect. And I do think that technology is playing a big part in this because what it's doing is it's turning everybody into a little entrepreneur like, like you were and right. like you were advised to do yeah. to gain audience by going to the extremes. Well, and they've even, Oprah has talked about it for years, how many times they kept telling her to push to extremes like some of the other uh, people in her market. And and she actually kept trying not to go to the extreme, but stay in the middle, um, you know, where Mari Povich may have gone more extreme and Ricky Lake and all these other ta- other people were doing it. I guess, is there uh, is there a moderate medium? Um, can you Can you accumulate a social media following and only, you know, take care of the, the average person instead of the extreme? Or are, is really social media just made up of a bunch of extremes? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I think the answer is uh, we don't necessarily know because there's so much of that iceberg under the water. Yeah. And, and by that, I mean, when you look at social media, like let's say you look at Twitter, for example. So for every person who posts on Twitter, there are at least a hundred, probably as much as a thousand, who've seen that that post but but decide not to. Hmm. And so, who's the ones who are posting? Right? Who are those? Who are those people? And and what do they tend to post? Well, they tend to be the ones who are most engaged, right? The most passionate, the most filled with emotional energy about that particular topic, and what they express is stuff that's uh, very emotionally engaged. And so, when you look at social media you get this impression that, wow, everybody is so emotionally engaged and so polarized and and so negative, uh, you know, very strong uh, reactions. But those are only the ones who are posting. <laughs> They're right. not your typical audience. And, and so I think you can... You can still appeal to a, a wide mainstream group, but you won't get that, you know, NBA talk, you won't get that level of engagement the same way because you're not engaging with people's passion in the same way. So part of the issue is how we're measuring what engagement is and what we're really looking for. And I, I, I know you have a blog, um, but do, what do you know about the people who don't comment on your blog? Yeah, right. No, not much. Not much. Yeah. The ones who do comment, I bet you get some, you know, some, oh. some saucy comments. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's so, 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 so that, do we need to be more active in commenting? Sorry? Do we need to be more active in our comments? Like, I mean, because I might, yeah. I mean, if, if I want, if I want moderation to win, then I probably need to verbalize more moderation in my comment. 
Yeah, no, I think that's I think that is part of the answer for sure. Um, you know, I think as people get more used to social media, you'll probably get a mainstreaming of who's commenting, and those comments will start to start to 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 move to a more moderate level. But you know, I also think that there needs to be some oversight, moderation. You know, the literal moderation of of uh, of, of websites and social media groups. Used to, when when uh, the internet started, you had all these moderated groups, and it was someone was in charge of making sure that stuff didn't get out of control. Um, we don't have as much of that, and I think most of the experts and most of the the other academics who are studying social media, like I am, feel that there needs to be more of that, and that uh, you know. Some of these um, uh, social networking uh, companies and sites need to be playing a more active role. And we're starting to see this a little bit with Facebook, but they're very, you know, they're very hesitant to come in and, and interfere with, with things. But I think uh, some of these things do need to be interfered with. So maybe you know, people have to register, uh, and you have to have some kind of, of oversight. And then there will always be sites where things are open and free. But I think people need to feel that there is a safe space for communicating uh, ideas that that are, you know, not necessarily uh, not necessarily extreme and and out there, but can politely disagree. Yeah. And I also think, and I I think you've had a number of guests who've probably mentioned this in the past that you know we're we're seeing kind of a, a general degrading of the level of civility uh, in in discourse and in society. And part of that I think is also technological because we feel like. You know, we're alone in our room and we can say anything. You're just sitting there on your cell phone, yeah. standing in a line. Somebody says something that annoys you, and you, you, you know, you know, you rip off a, a couple of really insulting sentences and send it. Um, and that's something that we haven't gotten used to, I think, as a you know, as a kind of a, a species. That this extension of our of our thinking is actually has has big ramifications and and major effects. It's not just us typing on a screen, but it's us shouting out insults that thousands of people could potentially hear or more. Yeah, and that are so tied to my identity, right? That are tied to me. Right. Yeah. Right. Because it, it is, right. it, like you were so saying, it could be you're so anonymous to this that you, and you're sitting in your living room or whatever, and yeah, I'm going to say this, but there's no accountability. There's no feedback loop. No, no, that's right. And we're not used to it, right? Your parents never sort of walked you through this as, you know, we get lessons in table manners, we get lessons in how to act around adults. Nobody ever told anybody how you act in social media. I mean, I have, I have three kids who are very active on their cell phones. I, you know, I, yeah. I rarely see their faces when, they're, when their cell phones are around. And I don't know, you know, they, they go in their room, close the door, and I don't know what they're doing on there most of the time. I mean, that's, that's not good. I'm a social media scholar. <laughs> but... You know, I'm a, I'm feeling like this is as out of control, I think, as most parents do. And I think that's wrong. I think we need to build in as part of our education and as part of our parenting, here's what you do and here's what you don't do on social media. And the platforms, it would be great if the platforms would help us in that task by making some of those things uh, amenable to our control. Yeah, true. To our supervision. Yeah, like a standard or like an eth or a, an etiquette, a protocol. Again, we're speaking with Robert Kozinets. Exactly. Uh, he is the Jane and Hans Huffschmid Chair of Strategic Public Relations at USC Annenberg, which is a position shares that he shares uh, with the USC Marshall School of Business as well. And Robert is talking to us about how social media fires up our passions. And um, so, so there, I guess there's a lot of, of what's going on, but. 
it, you've only been really studying. You've been studying it for 20 years. But this is it going to just keep getting louder and louder and more aggressive? Um, or where do you see this going in the future, Robert? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, I, I think as <laughs> there are a number of, of, of forces here, right? You're talking about something that's affecting Facebook has 2 billion active monthly active users. And so there's no one direction that this is going to, going to go in. I think what we're going to see is uh, increasing pressure to, to have some sort of a mainstream voice to calm this down through moderation and, and even regulation. And I, I, I think that the, uh, the, the social network companies are aware of this and they're, they're thinking about it, but they haven't had any kind of restraint. And the, uh, you know, the Silicon Valley ethic is a bit of a Wild West ethic of really against any kind of, of control. And that comes from some, somewhat the early days of the Internet. If people ignore the fact that early on moderation was noted to be something that was useful. Yeah. And on the other hand, you have these, these social forces that, that once they start, they build their own momentum. Um, and so the paper on food porn was really a, 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 a paper about desire. And we ended up talking about technology, you know, combining uh, food and our natural biological hungers for food and for, for delight with the visual capabilities of smartphones, which go with you everywhere and which allow you to see a heck of a lot more food than you could ever possibly eat, and the transformative possibilities of networked communication lead to this amplification of desire, right? So you've got, and think about it, in, you can think about it in terms of relationships or, or porn. There's been some very interesting things that have been written about how uh, porn has affected uh, people's view of what a normal sex life should be. Hmm, right. um, and so you've, so you've got all this, these amplifying effects of everything that people feel passionate about happening, and it's being filtered through the technology. And the more desirous you feel, the more active and energized and passionate you feel, the more that indicates on the, you know, the corporate dials of, of the valuations of companies and the key performance indicators that they're measuring, things like engagement, that, that the technology is successful in doing what it's supposed to be doing. Hmm. So we've got, we've got these contending forces, right? And who knows where it's going to go? Yeah. It, it, right now, right now, someone, you know, some force, something, maybe it's each of us individually taking control of our own behavior as well, uh, but something has to happen to, to put the thumb on the scale and tilt it one way or the other, because you've got forces that are, that are, are, are normalizing, but I think you've got even stronger forces trying to pull things apart. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's what we're feeling in society now. No, I and think I don't right. think it's just society or culture. It's technology. I agree. I think you're right on. And uh, I so appreciate it, Robert. That's it's just great insight. And again, from a father of three as well. So you understand those fears as well. We appreciate you being with us again. Robert Cazanets is his name, and uh, he's doing what he can to research and understand better the impact of all this passion, folks. It's coming from something. And don't don't always trust it as good. You know, all passion uh, might just be folding back on itself and turning into something even uglier. Um, that's why we that's why we brought him on to help better understand what's going on in the research. We'll continue the journey, folks, doing what we can to make your life healthier, happier, and to help you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends. Does this song bring up any uh, memories for you? Because apparently we're celebrating an anniversary. 35 years ago, this album was released. <laughs> 35 years ago, I was 13. Really? Yeah. Why, why does that surprise you? Uh, it doesn't. Like, you? Th- what, you think I'm 80, 65, maybe 70? Mm, somewhere in there. I was yet to be born. Oh. Can you believe that? You weren't born when this was... No, I was just about to be born. So you were in utero. I think this album came out kind of as a warning that I was coming. Yeah. Here comes a thriller, folks. A really scary zombie-like baby soon to be. I was big. I was 10-4. Really? Yeah. Or is that just what they said? 10-4. <laughs> were you really 10-4? Yep. Man, you were big. Lardo. I mean, in a loving way, I mean that. Sure. I was seven, like two. Puny man. Are you making fun of my baby size? No, I meant that in the best way possible. See what I did there? Yeah, you just used my favorite line. It's amazing. This this song changed lives. This got a lot of people dancing that probably shouldn't have been. <laughs> they can do that zombie that's curled the, finger. That's the truest thing you've said today. Yeah, very true. I remember dancing, not dancing. I remember my wife when we were dating, because we dated in high school, four years after the song came out. I remember in her, she had a little dance room in her house with mirrors, and I remember playing it, and we were all just messing around to it, dancing. Did you she ever see get, me dance, by the way. Did she ever get worried when you were dancing in front of the mirror and realize she couldn't see your reflection? Yeah, that used to freak her out. The bigger thing was when I was wearing a leotard. You know, this is this is interesting because now I'm just realizing that you only like to record your show in the dark hours of the of the morning. Oh yeah, I can't even drive home when there's light. It burns. Is that why you have one of those? Uh, yeah, coffin cars. Yeah, and a driver, self driver, mm-hmm. self driving Tesla coffin car. Oh, that's coffin. Yeah, I'm coffin. Coughing. Yeah. That's what you meant. So happy birthday to Thrilla. Thriller. <laughs> Thrilla is what it would be called if it was released today. Yeah. But it there may- would be like a Z in there somehow. There's got to be a remake of that, right? Hasn't somebody... Oh. I don't think anybody would ever have the audacity to try to remake that. Are you kidding? You heard, have you ever heard of Kanye West? He's the king of audacity. The audacity of Kanye. Uh, we will continue the journey. Up next, we got uh, some more empty news for you. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world and stay informed about Thriller. Welcome back. You know, a big video game uh, company, what do we call those? Publisher. Like, publisher. Yeah. Is, is, uh, has a big lawsuit on its hands. <laughs> this is it's kind of funny. Um, so Activision is the name of the company. Yeah. They, they are the uh, publisher of the video game series Call of Duty, which is a huge franchise. Yeah. It Activision. Makes, it makes more money than most Hollywood blockbusters. 
yeah. in a very short amount of time. It's more more lucrative than any of these Avenger Marvel type movies that make tons of money. Activision they are seeking uh, to oppose a patent filed in the U.S. for a dog waste removal service. Oh boy! The publishers of uh, a game called Destiny, which is another big title, and Call of Duty have been granted an extension to oppose a patent for the Call of Duty. Service. <laughs> so don't mess with Call of Duty. Yeah, so there's a married couple in California. They have this uh, dog waste removal service. They'll come over to your house. They'll clean up your yard if right. you don't want to do it. You know, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Take it away from you. It says uh, this is their service uh, revolving around helping people clean up after their furry friends range from $6 hosing off of solid patios to twice weekly uh, scooping. Type of, you know, you don't want to do that. That's a bad call. That's like an $80 a month value there. So their they're, they're company is called Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah. Don't mess with our, don't mess and, with our and, name. And Activision is like, hey, that's our video game. Don't do that. You're soiling it. So Activision seems uh, threatened by this. They have successfully requested, requested an extension for the amount of time they have to mount an opposition against the service. They originally had until the end of November to register their opposition, but the new de- deadline is the end of the year. So they're, they have 23 trademarks on the Call of Duty franchise, the video game. In the U.S., some of which are inactive, but none of which relates to uh, removing dog waste from people's yards. Yeah, that would make me mad. Just some punk company wants to stink up my logo and my brand. Right. And they're capitalizing on the game to have this sort of pun for their company. Not punny. So does, does the video game publisher have a case? Yes. They have, they make billions of dollars who had the name first? Well, they did. Well, they have Call of Duty, D-U-T-Y. Yeah, but they're calling it Duty. Yeah. Do you know how many companies could be put out of business in other countries that are just blatantly uh, ripping off Oh yeah, a well, logo or a trademark? Lots of people will rip you off. I mean, it's the sign of success. Right. But the benefit of being the successful one is that you then, I guess, sue. You sue the small people that. <laughs> so they put out one video game, this Activision. They make billions on Call of Duty. Yeah. Yep, sure. Should they be worried about a dog cleanup service in California? Um, a husband and wife, no, one truck. They shouldn't be worried, except that's the pre- precedence, right? You've got mm-hmm. to shut down. You can't let one in, or there'll be one in every city stinking it up. What if they've never even heard of the video game? Oh, they have. Oh, they have. They've heard. They've heard. Um, Oh, what are you going to do? Well, it's hard to be the small person. Maybe, you know, maybe it's time to get a new name. You know, the quicker picker upper. There's one for you. Can't take that one either. See if you get a lawsuit there. Anyway, we're doing what we can to help, folks, to ease your burden as you make it through this crazy thing we call life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with my good friends, Dr. Jeff and Dr. Terry. I'm, I'm your good friend. I'm a doctor. Okay, let's restart. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Terry and Jeff, two 
Wow. Uh, bystanders that are just uh, hanging out in my studio. We've been stripped of our doctor status as and well as our status. friend status. Yeah, I've defriended you, which you can do. You, that's what you can do because we have social media now. If I, if, I, if I somehow receive an honorary doctorate, could I be a doctor at that point? I don't know. Hmm. I mean, I guess you could, but you wouldn't really be con- perceived as a real doctor. I've already – I spent the entire weekend with real doctors mm. and pretty much – No, no. Medical doctors or yeah. just people that went yeah. to school a long time? No, they're medical doctors. Oh, OK. Cool. There are some people yeah. that if they, if they were named doctors simply mm-hmm. for the fact that they went to school for a long time, yeah. we'd have a lot of doctors living in their parents' basement. Well, no. Th- those are called – those are just fraternity goers. That's oh. not – Okay. Just okay. because you're at a frat house for a long time doesn't make you a doctor. Okay, smarty pants. Mm. So there's a nuclear holocaust pending. Are you serious? Listen. Says who? There's one person mm. who has studied nuclear science his entire life. Right. He has a PhD. Mm-hmm. He will not show up unless you recognize he's a doctor. Would you rather than call your medical doctor mm-hmm. to come have him stop this Holocaust? Or would you rather just call the man doctor? We'll just call him doctor. I would call somebody like Dwayne The Rock Johnson or Channing Tatum Mark Wahlberg, Will Smith, people that are that are that are equipped to deal with this sort of thing. They saved the world. We've seen it before. Um, Yeah, the problem is you guys tend to disrespect the title doctor unless it's your medical doctor, which neither of you ever go to. I'm going by the AP standard. No, that's not right. The AP (laughs) standard. You would be Matt Townsend, comma, PhD, comma. A, and then however else you want to be by, you know, known by. But if it's a medical doctor, then it's doctor so-and-so. Yeah. Why is that? Because they said there's confusion because generally when people hear the term doctor, they mm-hmm. think someone who's going to fix you in a medical way, I'll not fix a, you. a psychologist no, fix you. or a sociologist or a journalism right. professor that's a doctorate. So now that makes a lot of sense unless you're on a campus hmm. full of PhD. Right. By the way, the degree is a doctorate. Absolutely. A philosophy. So being on the campus, which we are on, mm. and having well, PhDs on the show we're regularly. We're on the fringe of campus. Oh, like see. you cross the street from the building and you're in neighborhood. So we're off campus at yeah. that point. So see, this they, is, they pushed us to the very fringe. Yeah, this is where you're going to. Along with uh, all the sports. This is where you're going to have trouble because you're probably going to die in a nuclear holocaust. It'll be great. Hopefully the, the non, well, they're PhDs, but. We're not going to call them doctors. You know what you're doing right now, by what the way? What am I doing? You're, you're increasing my blood pressure. Really? Mm-hmm. Nice. Because – and now the new guidelines are going to matter. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> we talked about this, what, last week? Yeah. Apparently, they're lowering the standards for high blood pressure. And instantly making millions of people going from their blood, blood pressure is fine to having high blood pressure. Yeah, they were pre mm. – what's the term? Pre-hypertensive. Uh, there you go. Now they are hypertensive. So we're going to be talking to an expert. Then what are you if you were hypertensive before? Then now you're mega hypertensive. Ooh. So have people gone from their their blood pressure is at an okay level to now being pre-hypertensive? Yes. But I think they got rid of pre-hypertensive and just lowered it to now you're just hypertensive. 
I don't like all these labels. There's not a prehypertensive because now it's you're just normal if you're prehypertensive. Is there any truth to the conspiracy that it was done by pharmaceutical companies to sell blood pressure medicine to more people? Yeah, maybe. By Except, lowering the standard to make more people have to go get those pills. Yeah, now none of the doctors that made the decision would say that's why they did it. They say they did it because there's too many people that aren't getting the message that they're not healthy. Okay. So they've got to jump on this earlier. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that's about. And and I believe this was announced at the American Heart Association meetings where the president of the American Heart Association had a heart attack. Yeah. Ooh, that's right. See? And if he had just known, then that wouldn't have happened. Yes. Wow. That's a big deal. That is a big deal. So we're going to be talking about it today with a doctor, Dr. Yes. Paul Welton. Well, he, we'll find out if he's a real MD. He's an MD. Yeah. So we'll call him doctor. He'll be referred to as Dr. Paul. He's an MB, MD, MSC. Wow. K-E-Y- M O U S E. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, he's a mouseketeer. <laughs> oh, he'll be so proud to hear that. Great. No, he's a researcher for heaven's sakes. Oh, sorry. Unlike uh, a credible researcher, obviously, because he has an MD, and the only credible researchers on the earth are medical doctors. Mm. No, no, one, I don't believe anyone has said that. Give me a break. Just there used to be a distinction between Not the doctors really. that no. fix you and Not the doctors really. that are all soft and squishy. I'll fix you. I'll fix you. So we'll get to that fun. Uh, speaking of soft and squishy, uh, mm. anything going on in Washington we should be paying attention to? There's all to. kinds of squish going on in Washington. Let's get to those headlines. So they've gone from awkwardly holding hands to engaged in a war of words with President Trump, of all people, telling British Prime Minister Maurice, uh, Minister Theresa May to find her or mind her own business. On Wednesday morning, Trump retweeted videos posted by a member of the right-wing anti-immigrant, anti-Islam group, Britain First. They need more antis in there. Yeah. You got multiple antis. If your group is set up to be multiple anti, 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 maybe you're the problem. Well, because if you have too many antis, you're actually pro. Yeah, it starts coming back around. Mm -hmm. Two negatives make a positive. It's crazy. One claimed uh, to show a Muslim immigrant boy beating up a Dutch child. The Dutch embassy in the United States said the boy was not an immigrant, but was born and raised in the Netherlands and was prosecuted for the crime. Uh, May's spokesperson said it was wrong for the president to have done this, adding British people are overwhelmingly reject, they overwhelmingly reject the prejudiced uh, rhetoric of the far right, which is the antithesis of the values that this country represents. Decency, tolerance and respect. Trump waited several hours before he responded, tweeting Wednesday night at Theresa underscore May. Don't focus on me. Focus on the destructive, radical Islamic terrorism that is taking place within the United Kingdom. We're doing just fine. It was actually a second attempt at messaging May. In his first tweet, the Prime Minister Trump, um, or towards the, tr- the Prime Minister Trump, instead tagged at Theresa May, a woman named Theresa Shrivener who has six followers and lives here in the U.S. <laughs> so that woman was just getting on blast oh, all afternoon, imagine? and she put out a thing saying, "People, I'm not the Prime Minister." <laughs> that poor lady. Stop tweeting me. All these people are showing up at her house protesting. Right. Look, I've just got to get to work. <laughs> Holy so, cow. Well? Fallout from tweets. What yeah. are you going to do? Minnesota Public Radio fired writer and longtime uh, Prairie Home Companion host Garrison Keller on Wednesday following allegations of inappropriate behavior. The Associated Press reports in a statement Keller said he was fired over a story that I think is more interesting and more complicated than the version that was actually heard. Details of the allegations have not been made public. 
they actually have. He uh, something about he went to console somebody and he put his hand on their back and then it's she moved and it went up the back her oh, shirt yeah. up the back of her shirt or something like that. Yeah, so huh. he's his. His events seem the way he explains it is innocent. You could see where she could probably see it a different way. Oh, yeah. And so they've just cut loose him completely. Now, he retired from a Prairie Home Companion in 2016, but still produces a couple shows on Minnesota Public Radio. And so they have just separated themselves from him. On Wednesday, Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced that President Trump has asked Kellyanne Conway, his counselor, to become the opioid czar. She will coordinate and lead the effort from the White House to solve the problem of opioid overdoses, which Killed tens of thousands of Americans in 2016, Session said. Huh. Yeah. Hmm. We're never going to solve that one. You know what her background is? What? To justify being in charge of this? What? Um, she's close to the president in the White House. Hmm. Well. She may, she may have people that she knows that were affected by it, but. Well, yeah. But somebody's got to. Be close sure. to him. Someone's got to be in charge are. of this. But. There's the guy. Another the another person with a lot of responsibility, but not a lot of experience unless you're looking at real estate. Uh, Jared Kushner reportedly met with special counsel Robert Mueller's team earlier this month. CNN reports that uh, Kushner, President Trump's son-in-law, was specifically asked about former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Flynn has been a target of the special counsel's investigation into Russia's election meddling. Mr. Kushner has voluntarily cooperated with all relevant inquiries and will continue to do so, Kushner's lawyer says. Uh, Flynn's lawyers last week cut off communication channels with Trump. Or Flynn's lawyers. That's what I said, right? Flynn's lawyers last week cut off communications with Trump's lawyers, an indication that he might be cooperating with investigators. And so you got Flynn and then Kushner and then... Oh, boy. Is the White House feeling the heat? I don't know. They probably are hopefully more worried about North Korea, maybe a tax bill, maybe other things that are more Yeah, they important. shouldn't have to worry about Flynn. I mean, there's nothing going on there. That's what they say. It's all clean. And finally, scientists have called for glitter to be banned globally because it is a threat that presents itself to wildlife and all living things, basically. No, it's totally true. And I agree. True. Glitter is evil. There's no place for glitter on this world. Someone gave us some um, cups, basically, for our wedding, and they put <clears throat> glitter in them so that when you went to use them, you'd just either you'd fill up and be glitter in your whatever you were drinking, or you'd dump them out and there's glitter everywhere. Yeah. Why so would you mess. want that? You don't. And we were finding glitter for like five years from that one incident on our wedding day. But that, that's the gift that keeps giving is glitter. These but, were friends, right? Or was this a curse that was placed upon you? It was actually someone that worked for me. So I'm, Ooh. They were friendly, You though. should have given them that were, Thanksgiving yeah. off. <laughs> They knew you loved glitter. The glistening decorative powder may seem harmless, but environmental researchers claim it is a dangerous pollutant, particularly to oceans. The problem has Hmm. become so severe that plastics are found in a third of all fish caught in Great Britain, according to a study out of uh, Plymouth University. Uh, The researcher said, I was quite concerned when someone brought my daughters some uh, shower gel that had glitter particles in it. That stuff is going to escape down the, uh, the drain and potentially enter the environment, right? Because yeah. where does it go? And it just well, hold on. Shouldn't you worry what the glitter will do to your daughter? Well, there's that too. I mean, forget the drain for a minute. I mean, I get it. That's a big deal. But so scientists are why urging are we glittering the daughter. They're urging a ban of all microplastics, which is anything under five millimeters in length. Their uh, small size and sparkling appearance make them appealing to animals who will eat them. No, oh, yeah. that's yeah, why it's not good. Like if you buy a fishing lure, those plastic yeah, worms, they're, they're all glittery and they they reflect light. 
So the fish will go right for them. Ah, so there's just And then fish. we eat the fish. Mm-hmm. In fact, in, in this article, it's out of the UK, and they call the shower drain. Yeah. Do you know what they call a shower drain? No, what? They have the alternative words that yeah. we don't. They call it a plug hole. Come again? A plug hole. Okay. That's what they call it. Yeah. So, so too much glitter is going down the plug hole. The plug hole. Wow. That's another thing they need to fix. Yeah. <laughs> They're using the language wrong? Yeah, that just Didn't seems... They, 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 they're kind of the originators of the language. At least that's where we got it. Actually, not to the Greeks, which I am a part of. I know, of. but it came from... 7% of me is right, Greek right, or Italian. Right, great. Why do you say it that way? Because you keep talking about it. Well, you keep talking about Avengers. What? 41 million people agree. Uh, hello. This I'm talking about Greek yeah. tradition. Italians, maybe. Mm, yeah. I don't know which one, but... Well, yeah, but I mean, it's just more important. Yeah, I, I bet you, if you take another DNA test, that number comes back different. How dare you? <laughs> That's how it works. How dare you? Every DNA test, question my heritage. At the moment, is a little bit different when it comes down to these smaller portions. What are you going to now you... throw out a name that disparages my people? Uh, what do you mean a name? Pocahontas? No, I'm not going <clears> to <throat> toss out some. Are you being like that? Slur of some kind. Sacagawea? No, the, none of those are related to me. By the way, oh. Apollo. Now, I did see a story, right? So when President Trump said Pocahontas, he was standing there with the uh, Navajo code talkers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was. They by had... the way, he then touched. Yeah. He touched the code talker while he's saying the word Pocahontas. Yes. Kind of like a che- tongue in cheek. To... Wink, wink. Yeah. It was a weird moment. Kind of a weird moment. They, uh, a couple of those gentlemen, one of them was asked afterwards by a reporter, what did you feel? How did you feel as he said that? And he goes, well. When I was in the Marines, they'd make us yell Geronimo as we jumped out of airplanes, so I'm okay with it, I guess. Hmm. <laughs> We've been so insensitive. We really are. We don't even know when we're insensitive. Right. We're so insensitive. And so his point was, uh, it felt like you guys have been doing this for a long time, so why should it be any different now? Why change now? Yeah. Well, maybe because we're it's getting wrong, better. Maybe, yeah. Maybe we're uh, learning. Maybe we're improving. Huh. Wrong. But that's what that's what you'd see like in the old movies. They jump out of the airplane. Yeah, it's Geronimo. like Geronimo. Yeah. Maybe they spotted Geronimo as they were jumping. No. No? No. no. Okay. Just a phrase. Just a saying. <laughs> Holy cow. Interesting. Um, we got some empty news. Okay. The empty news team. First on the scene. Fifth on facts. Not empty. Like not... Without any substance. High, high, high substance. Uh, high news. Mm, high information. Alternative facts. Yeah. I, I try to find stories that have interesting twists. High twist factor. Which would be substance. Ish. Yes. There you go. Let's get to our empty news anchor, Jeffrey Liam Simpson. We just talked about animals, right? Yes. Glitter and fish. Uh, so ruining a good fish. We've got a camel story and a pig story. We'll do the camel story first. I, okay. Why? Of course you would. So uh, this camel's name is Scooby the Camel. <laughs> Ruby the Ramel. Ruby. <laughs> so a uh, young camel named Scooby back at home after going on a ninety-minute jaunt that blocked traffic 
and provided an uncommon photo opportunity oh, for motorists in Ohio. That little camel. So Scooby's one-year-old, yep. a one-year-old camel, escaped from his fenced-in home in Springville or Springfield Township on Friday afternoon and began walking along township streets, prompting wide-eyed reaction. A neighbor of the owner who was on her way home from work alerted the Lucas County Sheriff's Office. Owner Nabel Shaheen was then contacted and then and uh, led Scooby safely home. Wow. Uh, Shaheen said that he bought Scooby as a baby and is glad no one was hurt. Can yeah. a one-year-old camel hurt? Oh, yeah. Really? It's hard, In its heart, yeah. Okay. Well, have you ever been around a camel? I, I No. Well, I mean, it, no. And I don't want to be rude, but their teeth are horrible. They've got a real spitting problem, too. And um, But they look at you with those deep, dark eyes and those really long eyelashes. And at first you're like – you're just drawn into the face of like cute little Scooby. But then once it opens its mouth, you're like, ugh. You're wondering – scary I mean, one-year-old. Anybody that's staring at you while they're chewing, you got you to gotta be wary of them. No, totally. Yeah. So, OK. Here's another animal story. If you needed to have a comfort animal to help you get through a flight, what animal would that be? I think we've already talked about this. Obviously, um, a mule of some sort. A mule? I want a comfort mule. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I'm going to call him Log, and he's going to be my mule log. I would probably take a turtle because they move very slow. Yeah, but what's the comfort there? Just it cal- – it's a very calming – So when you're nervous about the takeoff, you're going to grab the hard-shelled turtle and just try to cuddle up with it? Sure. That little snapping turtle? Yeah. That comforts you? Mm-hmm. They're cold Whatever. Shell. Anything that moves slow and really takes its time, that, that helps you to just slow down and take, take a breather, in my opinion. Hmm. Anyway, there's a woman who has a comfort pig. Yeah. And uh, she was she was eventually kicked off a flight because the pig was becoming unruly. They tried to tether the pig to an armrest. That didn't work, and it was running up and down the aisles. So there's this guy that was terrified he, because I think I was I'm going to be on the plane with the pig. <laughs> Staff were eventually forced to order the pig off the flight. When it became too disruptive, American Airlines, the parent company of U.S. Airways, confirmed it was taken on board as an emotional support animal. Well, you, yeah, and those are very common now. You need – some people need that emotional support to stay calm, to get rid of their anxiety. But what happens when your emotional support animal starts freaking out? Yeah. It's a big deal. So this apparently is kind of a big problem. So much so that there's they're starting up a new film franchise. Oh, really? Uh, this one is the Pigs on a or in a franchise. Oh, cool! Instead of snakes, it's pigs. Right. Um, so it's these are all Mexican films, but uh, they have a returning cast member from oh. the Snakes franchise that uh, makes an appearance. No way, Samuel L. Jackson. Proximamente en cine cerca de ti. Algo apesta a 20.000 pies. Capitán, tenemos un problema. Y solo un hombre puede aclararlo. ¿Qué pasa? Señor, son cerdos. Low 
sostenido con estos cerdos apestosos en este vuelo económico. Samuel L. Jackson en Cerdos en un avión Cerdos realmente pueden volar Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, and uh, today we're talking high blood pressure with some new uh, guidelines coming out for us. You know, poor diets and not enough exercise cause a majority of our high blood pressure uh, issues. And now that guidelines for high blood pressure have recently changed, almost half of U.S. adults are dealing with realities of high blood pressure. Why are these guidelines changing and what does it mean for you? Joining us to talk about it is Dr. Paul Welton, a Tulane University physician that led the panel that changed the guidelines. He's here today to hopefully help us understand why the guidelines are changing and what it really means for the rest of us here. Dr. Welton, thank you so much for being with us today. Good morning, Matt, and thank you for having me. A pleasure to be with you and your listeners. Thank you. And I mean, I personally, I have high blood pressure, and but it's interesting. I, I, um, I probably, I, I guess it's changed my life. Knowing it and knowing it early enough, my family's had it. It's in our family history. So for me, this this is a really important topic. Um, but what's interesting is with these new guidelines, I guess I would have been diagnosed with high blood pressure even earlier in my life. Talk about how the guidelines have changed. What did they used to be? What are they today? Right. So we've done, we've done an extensive uh, sort of deep dive. This is a panel of 21 members, including, I might add, uh, two lay members who were very, very active. Mm. No one on the panel had any relationship with, you know, commercial interests, pharmaceutical industry, and so on. So it's a, it's a rather long document, deals with every aspect of blood pressure from classification through diagnosis, evaluation, uh, various treatments, and so on. Uh, we changed the classification system. It's been close to 30 years since mm. we had a change. And uh, what was always normal is still normal according to our guideline. That is less than 120 for the top number, the systolic, and less than 80 for the bottom one, the diastolic. But there was a, uh, something called prehypertension before. At an earlier time, it was called high normal. We didn't like those terms. We took the upper end of that. That's uh, an average systolic between 130, 139, or diastolic between 80 and 89. And we have now called that stage one hypertension. And the reason we did that was because for U.S. adults who are already in that blood pressure range, they're they're double the risk for a heart attack or a stroke. And we know that uh, treatments are effective in that range. So that's that's one. So So if you have a a blood pressure uh, uh, of 130 to 139 over 80 to 89, you're no longer pre-hypertensive. You are stage one hypertension. Correct. And, and the, you know, the notion here, of course, is to empower adults in the community to know what they have. Yeah. Not, not everyone in that category will require uh, a medication. In fact, only about 30% in that category require medication. So we recommend if uh, someone in that category has a high underlying risk for cardiovascular disease, if they've had uh, already had a 
uh, a heart attack or a stroke, they're obviously at, at high risk. If not, um, we recommend using a calculator that would put in standard risk factors, you know, age and gender and race and blood pressure and so on, to estimate cardiovascular risk. And if it's more than 10% likely that someone will have an event in the next 10 years, we would call that person high risk. And that's the sort of person who would not only benefit from lifestyle change, but also from medication. Hmm. And so, really, I guess you went from three categories, uh, pre-hypertensive to hypertension one, hypertension two. Now you just have two categories? We have the normal. Yeah. Uh, oh, normal, we yeah. Have, uh, we, we have a category we call elevated. That's the 120, 129, and okay. 180. And then we have hypertension. And okay. the, first, uh, the first one is stage one. That's the 130, 139. And then everything above that, 140 and above, or 90 and above for diastolic, that's stage two. Interesting. So that's a big change. That adds a lot of people, uh, about 14% more, about 30 million adults in the U.S. Uh, would be labeled as having hypertension. It, not all of them, as I mentioned, would require drug therapy. In fact, because we're much more careful, if you will, about who might benefit from a medication, that percentage would go up quite uh, less than 2%. Okay. So it's a, a rather small change there. So we're a little more uh, focused, if you will, or targeted on who might benefit from a drug. But just like you said, all of us uh, are at risk. Uh, I have high blood pressure. You have it. It's very common. Yeah. And the underlying problem for almost all of us uh, is diet isn't uh, what it should be and physical activity isn't what it should be. Yeah. Is it It's a cultural issue. Is that why you jumped on it um because is the idea that if we if we diagnose it earlier uh maybe even removing a stage or um you know getting people into the categorization earlier they'll they'll catch it earlier and and maybe change it earlier? Yes, it's, it's really to empower clinicians and uh, adults in the community, and, and just the information is better now. So it's been 13 years since we had a comprehensive guideline around blood pressure. So we know a lot more in terms of risk prediction, and we know a lot more in terms of therapy. So it, it makes sense not to frighten anyone, mm-hmm. but to make them aware. You're already at high risk, and there are things you can do. And the most important thing would be Knowing what goes into your gas tank, we're careful about what we put on our cars. Yeah, we need to be equally careful uh, ourselves. You know, with, with the um, non-farm uh, approaches uh, to lifestyle. What causes high blood pressure? Try to, I guess. I mean, it's complicated, but explain. In, I guess in lay terms to us, what, yes. what's I guess because a lot of this is if it's because of our diet, then it's our weight, our lack of exercise. We're probably not circulating well, so our heart has to work bet harder. Exactly. So <clears throat> the underlying problem, as you mentioned, is is really diet and physical activity for about ninety percent of people, uh, and that will manifest in different ways. It'll manifest as high blood pressure. It'll some people it'll manifest as lipid abnormalities. Many people will be overweight, a common problem. Some of them will go on to get diabetes. So the, the 
underlying problem will manifest in different ways and all of those will lead to atherosclerosis, a, a damaging of the internal part of the vessel wall. Cigarette smoking, which really isn't going to cause high blood pressure, will also damage that uh, vessel wall. So all of these things lead to the common underlying pathological problem in this country, which is atherosclerosis. There you go. And that can lead to heart attacks, strokes, kidney failure. It, it, it's the most common thing all of us face. So if we jump on it early with these new guidelines and we jump on it fast enough, can we? Can you actually reverse it? I mean, can you get it back to normal? Is it that, I guess, or it, does it depend on what's causing the high right. blood pressure? Always better to prevent. Yeah. Uh, there's no question. Once the horses are out of the barn, they're hard to get back in again. So... Yes, we can treat it and we can reduce risk. And we have lots of information that both non-drug approaches, and they're typically lifestyle change, and drug approaches are effective in lowering blood pressure and effective in lowering risk. But it's always better to prevent it. So, you know, for our children, they're not looking at a heart attack or a stroke in the next 10 years, that's unlikely in a young person, but they're looking at lifetime risk. And it certainly is a chronic disease that starts early in life and progresses and usually manifests as a complication much later in life, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. And I guess as you're getting older, 50, 60, or 70, with hypertension, um, I, I assume if you're not going to get in better shape and uh, exercise and manage your diet better, then you will just continue to need more and more drugs? Yes. Yes, that's true. So, of course, the first thing for all of us is to know our numbers, uh, whether it's blood pressure or it's cholesterol, uh, and to know that we've gotten an accurate measurement of blood pressure, because blood pressure, anyone who's ever measured it knows it bounces around quite a bit. And there are some things that we can predict will elevate your blood pressure, uh, but not really be true hypertension. So we, we go to some length in advising those who are going to take their pressures at home as well as clinicians on getting accurate pressures and getting average of pressures. So we want to know not just what's happening in an instant, but what's happening over time. And we put a lot of emphasis on out-of-office blood pressure measurements hmm. uh, because what happens in the office gives us a very small window on what's happening throughout the day. So we want to confirm office hypertension to make sure that it's really true or to catch what we call white coat hypertension. Uh, quite a high percentage of people, 10 to 25, it depends, you know, on age and race and so on, but quite a high percentage will have high pressures in the office, normal pressures outside, hmm. And their pattern of risk is more like a true normotensive. And then on the flip side, there's a group of people who seem to have normal pressures in the office. But their pressures are high outside. We call them masked hypertension. And their risk pattern is very like true sustained hypertension. So we want to catch all of those things. And that's where um, an adult, or if you want to call them a patient, they're really important because they're likely to be the ones who are getting the out-of-office blood pressures. They have the time. They should have the interest to do that accurately and to really confirm the diagnosis before making any decisions about treatment.
this might be a great time to be talking about it because uh, so for about 40 bucks, they can get um, uh, what's it called? This Figmo mammometer. What's it called? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and basically go take their own blood pressure. We could get that for them for Christmas. And they could be taking it at work. They could be taking their blood pressure at home and just start making an effort of focusing on the numbers. Right. And we used to do this by listening with the stethoscope, what we call a sculptatory. We listen for the, for the uh, blood pressure sounds. That's pretty much disappearing. Is it? Slowly. Yeah. I, I'm an old timer. I still do it. Yeah. But, but more and more and more, because of convenience largely, we're moving to um, – uh, autom- semi or, or true automatic uh, devices, and these are called oscillometric devices, and you can buy them in the drugstore. We provide guidance on selecting one that is uh, valid, so that's obviously important. And then we provide guidance on how to take an accurate blood pressure. Yeah. So, you know, you start by really knowing what's going on and making sure that you've confirmed any suggestion of high pressure in the office. And then um, working with a clinician to understand what's the underlying risk. Uh, do you you do need lifestyle interventions? They're not easy. Any of us who try to lose weight, right. or reduce our sodium, or go for a better diet or more physical activity, and, and be careful about alcohol. We know those are difficult things to do, but they can be done. They will, if done, lower blood pressure. We know that much. And then uh, with the clinician, uh, somebody can decide, do they need drugs as well? What type of drugs? Do they need more than one drug? Because they commonly that's commonly the case. And do they have some other condition where a particular drug is necessary that will concurrently lower blood pressure? We call it a compelling indication. So those are the kinds of things that a clinician, whether it's a physician or a nurse or a pharmacist uh, will be very, very helpful with. Yeah. Again, we're speaking with Dr. Paul Welton, a Tulane University physician that led the panel that changed the guidelines uh, for um, what is hypertension and high blood pressure for adults around the country. Again, it's now 120 over 80 is normal as always. But if you reach 130 to 139 or 80 to 89, those ranges are now hypertensive. Right. And and another thing we've done here, based on a lot of information and and new information, is we recommended during treatment going to a lower pressure. So we used to say, you know, start at 140 over 90 and go to less than 140 over 90. Of course, that's still important. If if that's where you are, it's important to get lower. But we're saying uh, start at a, a lower blood pressure, the 130, 80. And uh, during treatment, go go to a lower pressure. Hmm. Now, when you get to be my age, and I'm probably older than you, uh, those over the age of 65, we purely focus on the top number, the systolic. Because what happens as you get older is your top number tends to go up and your bottom number tends to initially sort of stabilize and then it goes down. But the problem in older adults is mostly high systolic, that's where the risk is, and that's where the treatment trials have been focused. And the outcome really would be uh, a stroke, heart attack, uh, atherosclerosis, um, and other heart diseases. 
Yeah, it'll manifest in many different ways. Uh, a common way would be kidney disease as well. Um, it's not the only thing that causes kidney disease. Diabetes is a very common cause. And, of course, these uh, bad boys tend to go together. It's mm. very common to find if you have high blood pressure, you may be overweight, maybe you have a lipid abnormality, maybe you have uh, diabetes or, or the early indicators of pre-diabetes. So they'll often go together. In fact, we use a term called metabolic syndrome when they go together, and that just increases the risk for a, a complication. So it's important to treat all these things, and the treatments are effective. The treatment for high blood pressure is very effective. We know that for reducing risk. The treatment for lipid abnormality is very effective. It's important to prevent diabetes, but if you have it, to treat it. Uh, and obviously, getting to a better weight, being more careful about the type of diet you have, being physically active, moderation in sodium, careful with your alcohol, those are the kinds of things that are really central to the cause and the fundamental treatment. And smoking, so I, smoking as well, careful. right? Smoking is uh, clearly very important for cardiovascular disease. It's, it's, not a, it's not a big issue for blood pressure per se, but you've got three legs of the stool that drive cardiovascular disease, diet, physical activity, cigarette smoking. They're, oh, they're the ones that wow. drive it. Yeah, yeah. And we, I guess, too, we also would want to maybe watch out because there's a lot of um, – I don't know if it's folklore. I don't know what it is about other solutions that might lower uh, uh, high blood pressure. Eating garlic, dark chocolate, drinking tea or coffee, yoga, meditation. What's what's the verdict on those um, those solutions? Well, there are many things that are associated with with uh, blood pressure, and what we've uh, done in the guidelines is we've gone through them in detail, and. We've gone for recommending the ones that are best proven to be effective. And the ones I mentioned are the big ones. Weight loss, yeah. uh, a healthy diet, a physical activity, moderation in sodium, getting potassium in your diet, and uh, being careful with alcohol. Those are the big ones. It's not to say there aren't other things that can be helpful. But there are a lot of things out there that are not either don't work or are not well proven. And we actually... In this guideline, we have 448 detailed evidence tables that go through all the evidence for these sorts of issues. It's a, well, you've, you've really – you've gone through it all. I mean it's, it's funny. When it was released, my immediate thought is, ah, oh, big pharma is just trying to sell more drugs. But, but really, yeah. help us understand. You had a, a, a large committee. Uh, I'm assuming big pharma wasn't a big part of it. And um, you thought it through, and, and you feel this is important. Right. So it was a reasonably large committee. Um, you know, you, you're not a, you don't have everyone who's expert in the field on there, but we, we had good representation of all the different disciplines, nurses, uh, pharmacists, endocrinologists, uh, geriatricians, um, cardiologists, uh, nephrologists, etc. And as I say, two lay people, and no member of the panel has a, had uh, nor has a commercial relationship. That was uh, important. Not that, yeah. not that people who do studies with uh, pharma are bad people. They're good people. But we just want to make sure we firewall. Yeah, keep uh, it clean. The committee, exactly. That's good. So, And we did do a deep dive. We took about three years to, to do this. We have 106 recommendations. Uh, 
It is a very long document, so if you looked at it first, you would probably fall over in shock. (laughs) What we've done for clinicians is we've divided it into many different sections, each of which are self-contained. So for a busy clinician, if they want to know a particular issue, how do I manage high blood pressure in pregnancy? How, what do I do with a hypertensive urgency? They can go directly to the section in question, and the recommendations are up front. The key information for each recommendation, how important we think it is, what's the level of evidence behind it, text the references are all in that section. So it's relatively easy to navigate. And uh, really quickly, where where can we get that document? So where can doctors, physicians get it, but where can just the lay member go see all those recommendations? Right. So you can get it many places. Uh, two places that are easy to go. Go to the website for the American Heart Association or the website for the American College of Cardiology. There were 11 professional societies involved, but those two were the two key sort of sponsors of this guideline. Of course, we have published it in, um, in peer-reviewed journals as well. So it's available in the journal Hypertension or, or in the journal uh, of the um, American College of Cardiology. Beautiful. And you're getting it out there, and we appreciate it. Dr. Paul Welton, thank you so much for your time and your great work on, uh, on our health, really, trying to keep us all healthier. And to everybody else out there, Maybe as we are trying to get healthier, let's make sure we teach our kids as well. Bring your kids along for that run or that, uh, that healthier diet. If we can make it so that they don't even have to experience uh, the hypertension or, or these other problems, boy, what a blessing that would be. We'll continue the journey up next. More empty news right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, let's uh, hit a little bit more of our empty news segment with the empty news host, Jeff Simpson. You know you can't take it with you, right? That's what they say, yeah. Uh, But if you had to choose what item you could be buried with, what would it be? Pop-Tarts. Really? Really? Yeah. Just so the worms could... uh... What what do worms have to do with it? Well... No, I'm going to be sealed in a nice box... Okay. And I would like at my feet a bunch of boxes of strawberry Pop-Tarts. I didn't even know you liked strawberry Pop-Tarts or any Pop-Tart for that matter. Well, if you're going to die, <laughs> don't you want a Pop-Tart? So uh, listen to this guy's dying wish. So yeah. uh, this is a man who always joked that he didn't want to venture into the afterlife hungry. So kind of along the same yeah. uh, wavelength as you here. He got his wish when he was buried with two cheesesteaks from his favorite sandwich shop. Oh, wow. Cheesesteaks. Now, this will make more sense here in a second. Pat's king of steaks in Philadelphia. Mm. According to his grandson, Dominic Lessie, when asked uh, what he wanted to take with him when he died, Richard Lessie replied, What do you think, Pat's cheesecake? (laughs) No onions, his grandson said he would say, uh, because they'll come back to haunt me. So Ah, true. So, so true. But if you put some garlic on there, that could protect him from vampires. And heart disease, apparently. Well, he'd be dead at that point already. Oh, so You're going there. The 76-year-old father of four died of heart complications on October 10th. Uh, Richard Lessie from Plains Township was a rabid fan of Philadelphia sports teams, and that loyalty spread to the famed cheesesteak shop after a pregame meal decades ago, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, see, now that's, How about that? That warms the heart, doesn't it? Yeah. 
And apparently his legs where they put the Philly cheesesteak. It warms the heart and it raises the blood pressure. Mm. It does make you wonder what you want to be buried with. Now I feel, like a, I feel like a Pop-Tart is so insignificant. I thought it was a sure. great idea because it would last forever. I, you know, I don't think I need to take anything with me. Really? And I'm an organ donor, too, so they can even have that. Yeah, I don't know that they're going to want your organs. What are you talking about? Well, all the nachos? Yeah, but I've never smoked. I've never had alcohol. No, you've had nachos. So that's just as bad as those other things. Yeah. Yeah. Your organs are nachified. Between the nachos and the theater popcorn? Yeah. You're dead. And your organs are dead, too. No. Wouldn't this be hilarious if I died between now and tomorrow's show? No, it wouldn't be hilarious. <laughs> you just got a very serious look on your face when I said You're that. You're not going to die, are you? I was being sarcastic. Okay. It's hard to tell. Uh, up next, Leanna Tan's going to be enlightening with us with a little tangent about hidden fees. Don't you hate all those hidden fees that come up, the bank and everywhere else? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Well, you still might be on a high from last week's Black Friday shopping, but did you find any catches in those flashy deals? While uh, you know we're all in the spirit of consumerism, one of our producers, Leanna Tan, is going to warn us about five hidden fees we should all be aware of. You're probably still bustling around trying to get all your holiday shopping done early, right? And if you're like me, you're pulled in by the bright red sales tags and the buy one, get one free deals. What can I say? I'm a bargain shopper. Or am I? Sometimes you think you're getting a great deal only to get to the cash register and find out that you have to sign up for a credit card to get the deal. Or maybe that you have to spend another $90 before the store-wide sale takes place. I hate them too. But they're everywhere, lurking in all the nooks and crannies of our lives. Hidden fees. Did you know, according to a Poneman Institute study in 2006, the average U.S. adult pays at least $942 each year in hidden fees. That's like a trip to Hawaii. So, to vent it all out, here's a list of five of life's most annoying hidden fees. Number one, school fees. If you've graduated college, congratulations on making it out alive. My friends are always venting about the latest hidden fee that cropped up on their student account. From activity fees to printing fees to late test fees, it's ridiculous. I tried to dodge the bullet as much as possible, but they made sure to catch me right before I slipped out the door and topped it off with a nice $15 application fee to apply for graduation. Seriously? Number two, processing fees. How much money does it cost a computer to read my credit card number? I'm pretty sure it's like zero dollars. Yet every time I get excited that my roommate's performance tickets are only five dollars, I'm always appalled at how it charges me another few dollars for the seat I want. I don't even know what the original five dollars was paying for. And tax on another couple dollars to process my request. And then of course I don't want to sit alone so I have to buy two tickets. And what was advertised as a five dollar outing has now turned into a sixteen dollar purchase. Ugh. Number three, foreign transactions. I think this is the worst part of travel. I might consider taking a tapeworm or a sketchy cab driver over having to deal with a foreign transaction. It's like 
You save up a few hundred or thousand dollars to have a nice international trip, but once you actually get to the country, it's like they send your money through a shutter and you're left with only a fraction of what you thought you'd have. And then you come home with a bunch of useless multicolored coins and paper that just didn't sum up enough to make another transaction back to U.S. dollars. Number four, airport fees. This is another place you gotta watch your back. You're a little hungry and want some extra peanuts? Fee. You got stuck in Detroit and just need to adjust your flight to get home? Uh-uh-uh. Fee. You think that nice gentleman is helping you carry your bags for free? Think again. One time, I thought I was getting a great deal on a flight to New York. It was pretty decently priced, even for a college budget. But oh, was I wrong. I got there with my normal-sized luggage and my carry-on, and the next thing I knew, they charged me over $100 because they don't accept carry-ons, and it was charged as a normal bag. And my other bags were charged because they were apparently overweight. And they made me pay to print out my itinerary. Yeesh. Talk about kicking a woman while she's down. And number five, groceries. Yep, you heard it. The supermarket. Maybe this is a fee that's still hidden to most people. They call it the shrink ray effect. It's where corporations make their portions smaller but still charge consumers the same amount for less product. According to a watchdog blog published by Consumer Reports, in 2011, companies reduced package sizes by as much as 20%. Like ivory dish detergent, which used to come in a 30-ounce bottle, now comes in a 24-ounce size. And Haagen-Dazs ice cream containers used to hold 16 ounces, but now only hold 14. They're pulling the wool over our eyes. We cannot be victims of this madness any longer. I'm going to march down that aisle, take my diploma, and demand justice. And more Haagen-Dazs. <sighs> well, good luck shopping, everyone. Keep up the good fight. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. Thank you.